Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 97. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Nacho Eaton Raygun. <laughs> Chris, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm pretty, pretty okay. It's, it's sweltering in yeah. LA right now. Just putrid. And uh, the AC is not working or? Oh, no, it is. I just, uh, I just don't have it on all the time. Oh, okay. You know, and trying got, to save a little bit of electricity there. What yeah, that? yeah, a little bit. It's no good. I don't, I don't miss the uh, Southern California heat at all. Although it's, I mean, it's disgusting here in Virginia. It's getting to that, to that place now. That swampiness. Oh no. That that the uh, the South and this mid coastal region is so well known for. But it's we've had a little bit of a spring, which is nice and apparently somewhat rare in this area. This is my first time living here permanently, so I've only been you know, coming in and out of here for twenty years. So. Now that I'm here, I'm uh, I'm enjoying the weather a little bit more than California's, but uh, sorry that it's so hot over there. Hopefully you'll cool down as we do this. What's going to be a pretty long episode, I think. Yeah, to be for perfectly sure. honest with you. Quite a bit of news. Uh, hope everyone out there is doing OK. All things considered with the coronavirus and all this. Hope you're all staying safe and staying well. Remember, this is our weekly PlayStation podcast. You can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon.com slash Collins last stand like some 8,400 of you do right now. And we really do appreciate that supporting us at one dollar or two dollars or five dollars a month. Whatever you can afford also gives you access to Sacred Symbols Plus, our weekly supplemental podcast only for patrons. The ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show and so on and so forth. Last week's episode of Sacred Symbols Plus was all about 
Resident Evil 3 Remake. We did a spoiler cast and review discussion on that. That was about an hour and a half long. We really enjoyed doing that and uh, had a lot to say about that game. Very divisive game. I think, Chris, that the coming episode of Sacred Symbols Plus that we'll do next week, I'm thinking maybe we should do it about the Xbox event that just happened. Give it a little bit of time to marinate. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some of those things that happened today. I'm curious what you think about everything. We'll get into that in a minute, but maybe we can spend some real time on it and kind of delve into that and maybe bring Nintendo into the mix, too, because I mean... Animal Crossing, for instance, sold like 13 million copies. There's a lot to say about what's going on elsewhere outside of our ecosystem. So I think that's what we'll do for the next episode of Sacred Symbols Plus. But go ahead and check out the Resident Evil 3 remake uh, spoiler cast and review discussion if you'd like. Remember that it is a spoiler cast. That is the operative word. So (laughs) do not complain if the game is spoiled for you. And just to remind you, Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols adventure. Our PS4 and Vita game is out. It's been out for... I don't know, five or six weeks now. We're really happy with it. If you haven't bought it yet, $9.99 or your local equivalent for PS4 and Vita, cross by two platinum trophies, etc. We really do appreciate that. And we'll have more to say about Twin Breaker and other projects soon. Ooh. Now, Chris, I do want to begin. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. The notes are a little bit out of order. We just brought up the Xbox event that happened. This was the much anticipated Xbox event. And I actually only watched some of the trailers. I didn't watch the actual event itself. I'm going to do that this weekend in preparation for our potential Sacred Symbols Plus episode. But what did you think of it? It seems like it was completely disappointing to everyone that watched it. But I don't want to say that for myself because I don't know anything about it yet. So what did you think about this? Yeah, I don't know. It it was fine. Like I just it was just a bunch of a bunch of new games. Some of them looked cool. Some of them looked fine. The main issue is that they they kind of advertised it as a gameplay event and it wasn't really. Like there was gameplay like for most of the most of the titles, like there were like quick snippets of what were what were clearly like first person cameras or third person cameras or whatever nature the camera may be in that type of game. And like it was edited together in, in a way that like, OK, so this is clearly, you know, some CG stuff with uh, or some CG trailers kind of redundant to say CG when you're talking about games. But yeah, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. Well, that's okay. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of them had gameplay and like some of them were just like in-engine kind of theatrical fly-throughs. Like the Assassin's Creed Valhalla gameplay that was promised was really just sort of a bunch of short vignettes of the the like the world of the game just running in engine. And a lot of it, it looks cool. Like everything looks pretty good, but it wasn't really a gameplay event. Like when I, when I hear about a gameplay event, I expect to see, you know... A decent chunk, if at least like five, four to five straight minutes of gameplay of certain things. But there was none of that, really. It was just sort of CG trailers and in-engine fly-throughs. Honestly, like I, I would give the I would give the event maybe like a maybe like a C plus or like a B minus. I, I just I don't know if you should really lead with a third party conference. I don't really understand that because people are only really. People only really get excited about third-party content if they know what first-party content is going to drive them to the platform in the first place. Or at least that's how I kind of think about it. That's how I would have probably organized it if I were uh, running it. But I also am biased because I have a particular starvation for a specific bit of info that I did not get. (laughs) Yeah, I know you want Halo details and... I think that's what a lot of people are waiting for. I I did read, although I don't know if it's substantiated, that they still are promising a launch release for that game. So it is weird if the console comes out this fall, which it should, that they've not said much about it recently at all. 
Mm-hmm. And even I know that, and I'm not a Halo fan. It's weird. It seemed to me that the the from the outside, the disappointment in the Xbox event was relegated to two different things. That the first thing being that they seem to have overhyped it, maybe even overpromised what they were going to show, like you said with the gameplay, but just in the general nature of the games. Like when and going through the trailers, I'm like, there's really nothing here that's even that interesting looking from my perspective. Compared to like w- the way you want to pop, right? Like when we saw PS4 games for the first time. We did see some stupid shit, but we also saw like really interesting and dynamic games that ended up being huge, like The Witness, obviously mm-hmm. Killzone and Infamous. So you got to show that. And that's kind of segueing into the second problem, which is something you brought up, which is this dearth of first party and second party information. Because half these games are and we're going to talk about it in the news. Half these games are coming to PlayStation 5. So I mean, I'm sure all of them are right, because it's a third party event. That's kind of the thing where it's like, what's the point of even having an Xbox branded event if it's just all stuff that can be seen elsewhere? Like, I like some of the stuff looks cool. Like, I, I think um, that game with the Silent Hill composer attached to it, that looks cool. I'm down for another horror game with that kind of atmosphere. It looks cool. It looks well done. Scorn looks visually kind of incredible, but but I, it's not it's not the pop that you need for an event. No, it's, it's definitely not, especially your your lead off event in some way. I mean, I know they showed the console already there a little bit ahead of the game, but it makes you wonder if Sony's kind of dodging a bullet a little bit here. I mean, we've been pretty hard on Sony on this show about their lack of organization around PlayStation 5 and their seeming inability to talk about it effectively. But Microsoft kind of had all of the goodwill and a lot of excitement and was not able to effectively talk about their games coming either. And We're going to talk about some of the games that are coming to PS5 in the news. Like I said, this is kind of a fluid situation because you do assume that most, if not all, these games will come. But I think some of them are timed exclusives. And in reading around, like even that Yakuza game is not confirmed for PS5. Now, I'm sure it's coming to PlayStation 5 because every Yakuza game was basically a PlayStation exclusive for a long time. But I just want to talk about the games in this news that we know for sure are coming because some of these probably are timed, not second party games, but timed exclusives in some way. Because I was just reading around about with press releases and stuff about who was saying what. And believe it or not, most of these games have not been discussed for PlayStation platforms. So since this is a PlayStation podcast, we will relegate it to that. But I did want to bring it up and acknowledge that this event happened. Yeah. And I think we should go more into it uh, next week on Sacred Symbols Plus. Once everything settles, I want to see some people's opinions. I want to see some interviews. Maybe there's maybe there's also more information that people will go in a little bit more depth with that they weren't able to in the presentation. That would be nice. So we will keep an eye out on that for you guys. And obviously we'll have the pertinent news here on this episode of Sacred Symbols. I did want to bring up real quick. I totally forgot to bring this up. I should have brought it up when I was introducing you and we were talking at the top. What happened with your so you're having like microphone and audio. Are you sure you're even recording this podcast right now (laughs) on your end? I see that you're having. So you also what three hours of audio. Yeah, yeah. For your video? Yeah, my, my audio interface, my little uh, focus right is just kind of crap in the bed. So I've just got to get a new one. I've had it for like six six years at this point, so it's not surprising necessarily that it's a pretty cheap piece of technology. But I don't know. It was just really, really frustrating to oh, lose. To lose. <laughs> yeah. So I have to reshoot it, which is nice. I don't want to jinx myself or us, but I will. We have a really... We have a high quality audio sound on our podcast. I mean, I don't think anyone can dispute that. Our our podcast sounds great. But people are surprised by how lo-fi the setup is. And I really do believe that it's like for the best to do yeah. it this way. You know, no, for sure. We use Zencaster, but we just use it to hear each other in low latency. 
And then we both have Shure microphones hooked up to XLR cables on our own ends, hooked into H4N recorders, like audio recorders that natively record our us on either end. And we just clap sync it. That's it. People have these really complicated audio setups for podcasts and stuff like that. And I don't think that they even sound that good. And then they have all of these different ways to break. It's not to say ours won't break. I'll probably lose this entire podcast and it'll never go up now. But <laughs> I did want to note that because a lot of people do ask also how we record. We I'm really like I said last week, I think I'm, I'm a Luddite. I'm an, a complete moron with technology. This is about as good as it's going to get for me. But yeah. <laughs> I did. We're a little late recording this because I've been dealing with some stuff the last couple of days because I bought it. I, I'm in the process of buying a house. I put in an offer which was accepted for a brand new house just built this year, never lived in. And I am thinking that when I move to this place, one of the bedrooms will be a studio for me and like a music room that maybe I'll have Dustin, our editor, come down. He's he's not stupid with this stuff at all like I am. So maybe I'll have him give me like a soundboard kind of set up and we'll have something a little more sophisticated that I can also use on Twitch and stuff. But for the time being, this is kind of the way it's going to go. And and uh, yeah, so hopefully the thing with the house goes through if everything I, I, the con the, the offer was accepted. That's I'm great. signing all the contracts when we're done. Yeah, thank you. And um, we close on June 15th. So I'm actually totally stressed out for different reasons now because I have to like furnish this place. <laughs> I have I didn't even know this when I started looking at houses. I don't know why I didn't know this when you buy new like new houses that have never been lived in that are just like brand new from the builders that you have to like provide your own refrigerator and like your own washer and dryer. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, no. I, 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 I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't. You've, have you never lived in a house? I've lived in a house, but I've never had. I But like I wasn't buying it. I wasn't setting it up. So and right, when you buy right. a, when you buy a house that someone else has lived in, uh, which is the, ho- the houses I've lived in since then, like that stuff usually does come with the house. But when you buy like a new construction, these little things don't. So I'm like, Jesus, I have to go buy a fucking washing machine. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Buying a washing machine. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Buying a refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. Like I remember, like when my parents moved into, uh, into the like when we moved out of Yonkers into upstate New York, we had to buy. We had to buy all that. Like we had to buy a washer, dryer, refrigerator. We had to buy a stove too. They took the stove. Psychopaths. Yeah, it's crazy. This one comes with a stove, thankfully, but uh, and a really beautiful range, which is awesome. But I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I'm getting the dog next week. The house is in motion. I feel like now is the time when the meteor hits and everything ends because now maybe I have a chance. Can Colin ever be happy? (laughs) I don't know. Can Colin have a good life? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. So, uh, all right, Chris, let's get into some of these notes, corrections, comments, concerns from the audience and some little pieces of news. The news actually started getting so bloated this week that I actually started cutting news out and just putting it up here and we'll get to that kind of stuff this kind of smaller things but i do want to start with this question from kurt lewin who wrote into us on patreon and remember you can support us on patreon for that early access for that access to sacred symbols plus and the ability to submit these inquiries each week he asks have you eaten the british delicacy the scotch egg are there even a thing in the u.s chris are you a fan of scotch eggs are you familiar with this i don't know what the hell this is so it's i i I looked it up to be sure this is on bonappetit.com pretty nice and it's an egg, like a, like a hard-boiled egg, I guess. Or it's kind of like a an over-medium egg. I don't know, because I guess it's a little runny. And then you so you take the egg and you cook it that way, I think. And then you wrap it in, like, sausage meat or bacon oh. and breadcrumbs. It's really good. That sounds delicious. Really, really tasty. I'm looking at pictures of it right now. You, like, bread it. You cook it. I think you fry it. 
Very, very good. That sounds really very, good. Very I'm, good. I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of it on paper. Yeah. It, it, so check that out. I, I think I, I, I've never made them, but I think I've had them as like you go to brunch or something like that. No one goes to brunch anymore because we're all going to die if we interact with each other. But <laughs> when we used to go to brunch, sometimes you would have the scotch egg is like an appetizer or something like that. It was pretty good. You cut into it. The egg runs a little bit. So the British do get some things right. Yeah, that's, pretty, that's pretty great. Priceless MBP wrote into us and said a few weeks ago, you said you liked Resident Evil 5's controls and not Resident Evil 4's. If you go into the setting of any version of Resident Evil 4 after GameCube or PS2, you can change the controls to RE5 controls. You use the controls as a reason you welcome the remake. While, and he's talking to me. While Chris was hesitant, I have to leave this here because it was driving me crazy that no one mentioned it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Priceless. Did you know this? I had no idea. I'm not positive this is even true. I'm going to tell you why that is. I, it, it probably is true. But people wrote into us, Chris, if you'll recall, like a month ago, insisting that you can connect, but you can get uh, more, more than one audio output type on PS4 at the same time. You know, like when you plug into the headphones, like all you had to do is go into the settings and whatever the case might be. And we're like, oh, we read that out loud really unscrupulously. And that's not true at all. I went and looked uh, when I was on Twitch. I was trying to figure it out. And people were in the chat were like, you can't do that. You, you, you can't run the audio out of the uh, headset and then run the audio through the TV into Twitch or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, that's so, that's been my I think I, I talked about this, didn't I? No, Sorry. you didn't. And then we had, remember we had people write in saying that you could you could. Oh, yeah. yeah, No, you have to get like but a, they were wrong. Yeah, they were you, totally wrong. Yeah. You have to get like a like some crazy splitter type setup to get that yeah. working. And it, it which yeah. at that point, it's just like beyond convenient to do it anyway so it's annoying as shit it's really so, irritating so yeah i just wanted to throw that out there it's probably true what this man is saying is probably true but I, again i presented that other advice unscrupulously and it was totally wrong <laughs> totally wrong so even when someone corrected me on something i was or we were right about they ended up being wrong and now i'm a little skeptical about everything that we say on this show so i just wanted to point that out yeah just to just to point it out just to be that guy that's fair uh, Risa Calglar wrote into us. He says, hey, lads, what's with the one non-essential feature you guys would like to see on the PS5? Personally, I'd like to see how many hours I have put into each game. It's funny he brought this up, Chris. I'm interested in your answer, but I didn't put this in the news. Mm -hmm. But uh, my friend Sammy Barker over on Push Square wrote about this this week. Push Square is a great PlayStation website we always talk about. He says PS5's user interface could help you to plan your game sessions. And he writes... We know that Sony's planning to streamline the PlayStation 5 experience by creating interactive widgets for games to take advantage of. On current consoles, for example, you have to load up a title and then select the multiplayer component before you can hop into a match. Next gen will change this, etc. However, a new patent hints at how far the Japanese giant intends to take this general idea. It proposes a software solution whereby players could be informed how long on average it'll need to, to you'll need to play to complete the next objective. It will also then make suggestions that could potentially optimize your playtime such as using a specific resource. If you're having difficulty to complete a section, then the console will surface hints or tips. This sounded to me like something that was pretty cool because we have this really un inexact thing that Sony's been doing for a couple of years where they send you an email to your email address that's connected to your PSN account where it's like, these are the games you played the most. And it's like absurd. It says like, I played The Division 2 for 500 hours, which just isn't true. It's just because the game was paused for <laughs> yeah. that long. So these numbers are completely useless. But I did like that particular solution of optimizing playtime because I know a lot of people really struggle with that. Yeah. About like, well, how long is this going to take? And I don't have time for this. And you can look at trophies just to see how few people actually finish the games they start. So I wanted to read that out for Risa as something I would like to see. But is there anything in particular, a non-essential feature that you would like to see on PlayStation 5, Chris? 
You know, honestly, like uh, I thought about I thought about this question a couple days ago. I thought about this like completely independently, and I, I my answer was just a clock, an in-game clock, just to see how much time. Because I love that about one of my favorite things about Steam is literally just going through all of the games that I have and seeing how long I've played them. And it's like it's one of the best things about Steam, honestly, is is, is the clock that they have. And I I want that more than I want anything else that I could even care to think of. Genuinely, it's a fun little detail. It is a de- it is a fun detail, especially if it's accurate. I know a lot of people have been writing in because I'm such a stickler for in-game clocks. And I was talking about how I've restarted games because the clock ran and stuff like that. And it just drives me fucking insane. And Final Fantasy seven remake actually does it in a really interesting way where the clock stops if the game becomes dormant, even if you're on in like in in the materia menu or something like that, which I think is cool. It's like a half step to where we need to be because Steam's numbers do seem accurate. And what I love about Steam is that you could probably hide this stuff, but you can see how long everyone else has played and then you can know if people are bullshitting. And yeah. there are a few people in media over the years that have, have tried to bullshit their way through games and have gotten caught because of that very feature. So uh, trophies and achievements also blow people up uh, as well. But uh, thank you for your inquiry, Riza. I wanted to read something else from Push Square as well. This has been making the rounds in Vita circles and it's actually germane to us and specifically to me and my future games that I do with Lilymo which is the developer that made Twin Breaker. So Sammy, again, at Push Square wrote, ratings change could end PS Vita support from handheld's biggest supporter. And he's talking about uh, the Ratalaika guys that release those games with horrible trophies every week on Vita. So this interesting thing happened. It sucks. But basically what ended up happening is that the European ratings board, Peggy, P-E-G-I, everyone knows, they've changed the amount of money it costs to classify games from 250 euro to 1450 euro so a massive jump of like 500 percent and so they're not wrapped in anymore you have to get the games i guess rated separately on vita and on ps4 and and basically they said that this is probably going to stop them from releasing more vita games in europe specifically because it's just it's hard to make that money back yeah and i want to say that i mean we're going to talk about this more specifically when we release habroxia 2 and then twin breaker 2 next year uh, but we're probably not going to release our games on Vita in Europe anymore either because of this, because that creates a, a barrier to entry, financial barrier to entry to us that basically is a de facto murder of the Vita games that we're going to are going to come out in Europe. So if you're a European listener and we have many of them and you see a, a decrease in Vita releases in your territory moving forward because Vita games still come out almost every week, you know that you have to know that it's because of this Peggy system change. And the amount of money that's being demanded out of us to get our games rated over there. So we'll still put pass them through the ESRB and everything in the United States. But it's not looking good for future Vita releases. That's insane. That's so, <laughs> it's just that one company that's been doing this. That's that's in, that's in, that's informed this change. No, I guess. So I guess that I don't know where the change. So I'm going I'm to click on the link here. So on Twitter, they tweeted out that. And actually, this was relayed to me by Barry, who's the guy that owns uh, Lilymo as well, and I was reading through it, but I didn't really think much of it. I've been busy with other stuff. And Ratalaika uh, said, "We've got some sad news. Starting in August, Peggy will change their fees due to PS4 adopting the IARC system. The casual game tier will be removed, meaning the cost for the new PS Vita title will go from 250 euro to f- 1,450 euro because Vita will not be part of this new process. Right. So it's like a separate process, and so that's just going to stop people from releasing their Vita games in Europe because your profit on a normal Vita game could be somewhere in the line of what it's actually costing you to 
release this game. Like for uh, just to give people an example, I'm going to bring up the calculator module on my computer. Uh, 1,450 euro divided by seven euro profit on a game that costs 10 euro. Well, you would have to sell 207 copies of the game in Europe alone just to make your money back. And when you're only selling a few thousand copies of a game, that's a pretty substantial amount and doesn't really make it worth it. So just throwing that out there, it's a, it's uh, something that I, I didn't want to talk about in the news because I don't know how newsworthy it is. It seems like people are starting to care less and less about the Vita, but we care and we wanted to continue to support it as long as humanly possible. But it seems like uh, our European support anyway is going to be cut short. Chris, what's next here? Oh, yeah, I wanted to read this question from Gavin Alexander because I wanted your take on this. This is something I know you're going to know something about. Yeah, he writes in. Hey, Chris and Colin, my question is for Chris. As you may know, Doom Eternal is getting two pieces of single player DLC. What would you like out of these expansions? So we'll talk about that. But then he says, is there anything from the base game that you hope they remove or add to them? Also, do you think the quality of the DLC will suffer from Bethesda, confirming that they are no longer working with Mick Gordon for the soundtrack? Any insight would be appreciated. And thank you both for ripping and tearing the boredom out of our daily lives. So I want to talk about the DLC, Chris, but I'm interested in what you think about this Mick Gordon situation, because I was reading about it on the official Doom Reddit. There's an open letter there. Yeah. From, from uh, Marty Stratton. Yep. From Marty Stratton, who is the what? Who's the, he's the director right of the game? Yeah, he's like the creative. Oh, executive producer. Executive producer. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. So he wrote this really long letter about Mick Gordon and his inclusion of his music. And then I guess some of the stuff kind of happening with the lead audio designer at id do you want to explain the situation and what is happening here because it's a pretty interesting piece of news and i know mcgordon is really talented but it sounds like he kind of fucked this up a little bit but that's my perspective i'm curious what you think yeah yeah so um there was a bit of a uh, a bit of a kerfuffle on twitter about a, a week and a half ago two weeks ago sometimes super recent where mcgordon was talking about the official Doom soundtrack released for the collector's edition on Twitter, and people were, people were complaining about how some of the mixes sounded a little bit weird and how they were like, oh, this is like a really bad mix for a Doom soundtrack. I don't understand this. And Mick kind of responded to some of the criticism saying like, oh, those weren't the tracks I mis- mixed. Uh, if I was mixing those, I wouldn't have done that. And saying things along the lines of like, it's unlikely that he'll ever work with uh, Bethesda and it again. Uh, because of the way they handled the soundtrack. And before Id had actually put out this open letter, it was pretty clear to everybody. Everybody kind of assumed that, oh, well, you know, Mick is in the right and Id is in the wrong. It's probably some corporate bullshit. But it actually turned out that uh, the letter that Marty Stratton wrote kind of detailed a lot of different things that were happening behind the scenes, including like, you know, Mick needing more and more time to get the, to get the soundtrack right. And they were actually completely flexible and giving him that extra time to get the soundtrack done. And they even like renegotiated his soundtrack uh, or his uh, contract to uh, coincide with the new delayed dates so that he would be paid uh, even more in full and then like with bonuses and stuff. Uh, so they were really flexible with Mick, but he just couldn't get the the tracks done in time. So he agreed to let Id's audio engineer, uh, I think a guy, a guy named Chad something, he agreed that the tracks that he couldn't get done in the mix would be handed off to Chad and then and Chad would mix them and he agreed that that would be okay. So to come out on, on Twitter and complain about it afterwards is, is a little bit disingenuous. It seems to be that id was a little bit mismanaged. Uh, they didn't really manage things correctly and it also seems that Mick got a little bit too in his own head about the work and got a little bit of a complex about it and got a little bit, you know, overly 
overly boisterous with the way that he was talking about it. So it, it seems like there's a decent amount of blame on, on both ends. It's not quite as clear a picture as people, uh, people thought it was, but there's definitely more blame on Mick than people would have assumed prior to this open letter. Yeah, it was interesting to read it. I mean, I not really being a fan of his, and I know people really love the Doom's music going back long before Mick Gordon worked on Doom, but as a as a franchise, but yeah, it did seem like he was kind of uh, kind of being a dick a little bit. And yeah, yeah it, it seemed like it kind of threw this guy, Chad. I didn't see his last name anywhere in the write up. I didn't have I can I'm sure I can find it very easily, but I haven't seemed like he kind of threw him under the bus. And like you were saying, so yeah, it's something that's making the rounds. A lot of people are interested in it. There is a really interesting letter, like Chris was saying, from Marty Stratton. Yeah, it's a very it's a very Reddit. detailed letter. And it, I really like I got to say, I really like how transparent it is. It is such a good like studio as far as this goes. Like they're really open about this stuff. It, it would have been really easy to just pretend this didn't happen, and like people probably would have, like it wouldn't have made that much of a difference. But they were pretty pretty open about it. They were respectful to Mick too, and they just shared what really happened. And it was it was totally, it was really good. I, I wish more devs had the communication skills that it uh, demonstrated in this letter. Yeah, I would say that they were pretty. Pretty diplomatic, all things considered. I, I could see that going a little bit different. And in reading the comments, it seems like the audience is on board with this kind of response as well, which was a, a pretty magnanimous way to, to handle it, considering he just didn't deliver the goods and they did what they had to do to make the game whole. So uh, so, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. But Gavin did ask Chris about this Doom, these two pieces of Doom single player DLC. Is there anything specific you want out of these things? I just, I just want more of it. <laughs> you can give me more of just more of whatever the hell Doom Eternal is. I'll, I'll take more of it. I don't care what the context is. I don't care who I am. I don't care. I don't care what the narrative is. Any excuse to jump back into that game with new single player stuff specifically uh, is exciting. I, I didn't even know that there was new single player DLC confirmed. I thought it was like they did make a mention of, of the DLC in the open letter. I think like they said like, oh, well, you know, the future Doom Doom DLC won't have Mick as the, you know, the composer. And I, and I assumed that was just like a multiplayer thing. Like, oh, they'll probably just they'll probably just put in like a traditional like arena team deathmatch kind of mode in for DLC and call it a day. So it, it's pretty exciting to me to hear in the form of this question that there's new single player DLC for Doom Eternal. Well, we appreciate Gavin's question and our ability to or give us an excuse rather to talk about that. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, I did want to throw out that Evo is canceled this year. The annual fighting tournament, fighting game tournament. And I guess they're going digital. So that's kind of sad because Evo is always fun to watch. Even if you're not into those games, I always like watching it. Just so it's such a strange and interesting community. Some of the uh, fighting game community. Yeah, some of the best, some of the most mesmerizing clips of any video game. Like any kind of gameplay, like the most mesmerizing gameplay I've ever seen comes out of Evo and like fighting game tournaments. It's like um, it's a breeding ground for like memorable clips. Yeah, I, I get me- I really I find it quite mesmerizing to watch even games that I really don't know anything about. Like I'm, I'm I know a bit about Street Fighter or something. But when you watch like Guilty Gear or whatever, Blaze Blue or whatever these arc system games are that are so complicated and technical, it's fun to watch the, the FGC is uh, an interesting community. And we talked about them not too long ago. They're probably my favorite community of gamers. Very eclectic. And uh, Evo is always a fun event. So it's sad to see that that's not going to happen in person, although that's not a huge surprise. And I also wanted to throw out that EA is doing an event on June 11th, a digital event, an EA play event. I think we're going to see 
some stuff there. And there's a really interesting piece of news that we'll talk about in the news on this episode, where what I think we'll see there. And I think people will be very excited about that. Ben Williams wrote into us and said, hello, good sirs. When I saw the news that Cyberpunk 2077 would let you customize your genitals, my <laughs> eyes could not have rolled further back into my head. For me, this confirms that I will not be buying or playing this game at all. Do you think CD Projekt Red has gone too far? Why do you think they would include this in their game? Will this garner them the dreaded AO rating in the US? Fridays, PS. That's all he says is Fridays. PS. The idea of a development team standing around a screen with giant genitalia on it and giving input on the texture and shading does make me laugh. So uh, what did you think about this whole thing, Chris, with the ESRB rating kind of outing the deep sexuality of cyberpunk, um, including the ability to customize your genitals? Uh, I think it's fine. I think it makes sense specifically within the context of cyberpunk, which is all about body modification and just insane customization. Like even in just the base concept, even removed from a game. Also, I I don't know. I, I don't see the big deal of having genitals in a game. Like if you can, if you can rip a person's arm off and beat them to death with it or like break someone's arm and like jam it through their own heads. I, I, I see no reason why, a why a penis or a vagina is going too far. Honestly, I, I don't see it. Yeah. I like what you said about this making sense within the context of cyberpunk because cyberpunk and I mean, cyberpunk, like little C cyberpunk, not the game is a lot about augmentation and these kind of interesting permutations of humanity and sexuality and body parts and and gizmos and gadgets and all that kind of stuff. So I think it within that context, it does make sense. But he asked and I agree with you there, but he did ask Ben asked if it would get the dreaded AO rating. Well, no, that was it's already been rated. It's it's rated M. Um, this is how we know this information. It's rated M for blood and gore, intense violence, nudity, strong language, strong sexual content, use of drugs and alcohol. So pretty much everything (laughs) that you can possibly have. Now, it is a little weird about because it says in the ESRB write up, the game contains nudity and sexual material. Players can select the gender and customize their character. Customization can include depictions of breast, buttocks and genitalia, as well as various sizes and combinations of genitals. So God only knows what the fuck's going on in this game, but it doesn't really turn me off. It it seems to actually make sense with it. It's one of the rare examples of this making sense if it's not like some sort of fucking perverted Tecmo Koe volleyball game. Yeah. Then it it would have to happen in something like this. I don't know, man. When I heard the like, I'm obviously excited for Cyberpunk, but it's like, uh, you know, it was always just kind of in the back of my mind. It's like, I'll get that game when I get it. It's like, it'll be fine. Like, I'll it'll come out one day and I'll be like, oh, shit, that's out. Cool. And I'll jump into it. But hearing about the rating and how just off the wall the rating itself is, the rating itself got me like way more excited because it really feels like they're just, yeah, we're not fucking around. This is an M rated game. (laughs) Yeah, which is nice. I I can't say that I've ever been really that excited about this game, though. It, It looks great. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but it's I know a lot of people are really eagerly anticipating this game, and I really am not. I mean, I'll play it when it comes out. It's not something that I'm. I'm really that amped about, although I pay so little attention to game trailers and gameplay because I don't want to ruin shit for myself that that might be part of the reason why I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm also not like a huge CD Projekt Red fan. I mean, I think they're great. Witcher 3 is a really great game, but it's not like I'm I have this really palpable excitement for The Last of Us and I have a real palpable excitement for Ghost of Tsushima. But that's about as as far as it goes for me right now. I think maybe it's too far away, too. So, yeah, maybe when it gets a little closer. Miguel A. Brewer wrote in. So we were talking about 
religious portrayals in games. And he had an interesting comment here because we were saying about how a lot of whether it's it's Christian with Far Cry 5, for instance, or something like Islam portrayed as terror in a Call of Duty game or whatever, that there's just not that many positive religious portrayals. But actually, Miguel came up with a pretty interesting example of one. So Miguel Brewer says, hey, friendos, I have I heard some listeners asking about positive religious portrayals in video games recently. And I wanted to chime in with one of my favorite characters and moments from one of my favorite games. Sister Calderon from the Red Dead series, but specifically Red Dead Redemption 2, is a wonderfully written character. And there is a specific scene where she comforts Arthur as he struggles with the consequences of his actions and dwells on whether or not he's a good man. She focuses on forgiveness and love and does her best to give Arthur direction without being overly didactic and condescending. It struck me. It struck. I'm sorry. It stuck with me due to how genuine it felt, even though I personally identify as agnostic and I figured I'd offer up this as a memorable moment where Christianity in one of its many forms was displayed in an uplifting manner. Uh, I actually remember this character and that's a really good example yeah. of what we were trying to talk about. So I appreciate Miguel writing in about that. Man, Red Dead is so good. <laughs> it is. It really is an excellent game. One of the greats. Hayden Glass wrote into us. He has to take you to task, Chris. Mm-hmm. He says, greetings, wretched seamen. Long time, first time for my first write in ever as a new patron. Welcome, Hayden. Thank you. I have not a question, but a comment. Chris's terrible answer to the nacho question downright infuriated me. He has clearly (laughs) never had nachos or at least not any kind worth talking about. A good plate of nachos can be an amazing entree if created correctly. Not to mention every Mexican restaurant I have ever been to have portions of their menus dedicated to nachos beyond just listing them as an appetizer. Sorry if I come across as angry. It's because I am. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> P.S. Happy to finally be a patron after so long. Keep making shit great again. Thank you, Hayden. Chris, your nacho question actually had a lot of people up in arms or your nacho answer. Yeah, I try to be pretty diplomatic on this show. I don't want to have I don't want to come off like AM radio or sports radio or fucking quarreling with each other. Yeah. But <laughs> it didn't really make what you were saying really didn't make much sense. This is the the last time since um your bike and scooter question or right. answer remember that like a few months ago that people <laughs> yeah. were really upset about this is the first time since then that you've had a you've really gotten the audience in sense do you want to defend yourself at all or do you not really care about this i've never had a plate of nachos worth worth talking about you're entirely wow. right and that's exactly why my opinion on nachos is the way it is if here's here's my here's my honest take if you can get it in a movie theater it's probably not that great and i have yet to f- <laughs> i have i have yet to experience a nacho dish that was more than something that was it just it's always just really underwhelming. So like me, yeah, maybe I haven't good had good nachos before. Maybe you can recommend me a place that has good nachos. But until I see that with my own two human eyes, I'm going to have to be I'm going to have to plead just I, I've, I've just not had it. <laughs> That's the simplest yeah. answer that I could really give to you. All right, that's fair enough. So you're being you're just being honest. Yeah, and also f- in fairness, I'm also just not really into Mexican food either. Like as a general kind of palate. It's just not like the whole chili and the the salsa. It's like it's fine, I guess. But uh I'm always I'm more of a j- like Japanese or or like uh Italian kind of person. Right. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Because well, maybe people are making a lot of you're Hispanic, so maybe people are making a lot of uh, assumptions about what your palate should be, how oh, it yeah. should read. No, uh, di- like Caribbean Hispanic is very, very, <laughs> very, very different. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's insanely different, actually. That's more like right, like rice and beans, and yeah, rice and stuff beans, like, that, right? like uh, pasteles, and like a bunch of like a bunch of other things that are just not particularly well known. 
there are some like there are some restaurants out here that kind of get it right, but you know, out here it's like pretty much Mexican, like it's Mexican Central in Los Angeles, and that's pretty much the only food that people ever want to get, and it's uh kind of annoying. Yeah, I, I find Mexican hit or miss. Like the the one cool thing about, I mean, I didn't like LA very much, but one of the cool things about living there was the like street meat that you can get yeah yeah um like the, the taco stands and burritos and stuff like that but it is really hit or miss like i i like mexican food to an extent but i like really like burritos are technically not even really mexican i think that they were it was created in the united states by mexican immigrants in like that were coming over to as far as i understand like picking crops or whatever and they would take like just tortillas and wrap what they had in them and that's kind of like the the origin of the burrito yeah but i i like burritos tacos and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, they're, but, they're, they're good. But but I'm not like I've, I've only been to Mexico once. But when I went, I, I wasn't eating any like authentic Mexican food. You know what I hate the most? The Mexican food I hate the most is the corn on the cob with the cheese on it. Oh, I've never you even seen that. I've never oh, even seen the, that. That sounds oh, it's heinous. It smells so bad. Like, I, I don't understand. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I used to go to this place in San Francisco called Underdogs, which was this really cool Mexican bar. And they had like burritos and tacos. I love that place. It yeah. was in my neighborhood. And. Some, and you would sit at like these family style tables in this place and it was always packed. And when people would order that next year, I wanted to like throw up. Yeah, it was that's... like the worst. It was like the thing you <laughs> hoped wouldn't happen to you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I it's it's fine. I might even have a burrito today. Maybe I'm in the mood for it. But oh. uh, but typically like nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm always going to want like pasta or like uh, like a like a real good slice of pizza or like or just like a burger or a. Or some sushi or, or something like that. I'm always going to want to. Chances are I'm, I'm going to prefer that stuff over nachos. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, my I the nachos I like. I mean, I just like I just put tortilla chips on a plate and dump shit ton of cheddar cheese on them and just eat them like that's that. what so I that's, think. That's what I think of. Not that's what I that's what I think of. Maybe like some meat or like sauce on it, but that's just chips and dip. Yeah. You yeah, know? I understand. I understand. We don't have to. We don't have to go on and on about this anymore. <laughs> Uh, finally, well, similar. I mean, it's not a similar question, but it's a food question. John Lestrina wraps things up for us before we get into what we're playing. He says, gentlemen, I recently ordered food and had to decide on a side dish. It came down to French fries or onion rings. What is the correct choice for the record? I selected onion rings, but was it the right decision? Chris, what do you think about this? <sighs> fries. I will always go fries, but fries are more often kind of hit or miss because that you could have that soggy factor where like yeah, you might definitely. have like. A good crispy fry is like something something to really behold, but you could always get those like soggy wet ones or or they're maybe they're fat and like not very crispy at all. That's always the risk with fries, but onion rings, while they still have that same risk, they're inherently more flavorful flavorful because of what an onion ring is. So even though I personally gravitate towards fries every time, I feel like the right answer might be onion rings. Yeah, it's it's difficult to know what the yeah. right choice is, because I agree with you. I would prefer a good French fry over a good onion ring, but you don't often or always get good fries. It's really dependent on the place. And it's actually more common, I think, to get a good onion ring than yeah. it is to get a good uh, fry. I think we mentioned this in the past that like one of the cool things about going to Burger King is like when you order fries and then they're like an uh, onion ring sneaks into that little. Oh, yeah, it's great. Your little thing. I love or, that. Or like whenever you get like a curly fry, maybe by accident, it's like, oh, here's a little sure. like, spicy little curly fry spice. Things yeah. Up. Yeah. It, it, it kind of delivers you a little bit of a curveball, which is nice. But I actually really love onion. I think a lot of my longtime fans know that I fucking love onion. 
Oh, it's like, like one of the great things. You ever had a blooming onion? Like at, oh at, yeah, like, <laughs> it's amazing. Like Chili's. Oh yeah, definitely. When I was a kid and I used to go to Chili's like in middle school, like after hockey or whatever, I would get a blooming onion as my entree. Wait, was that was that uh, was that Chili's? Yeah, Chili's. Well, that's what. Yeah, it might have been called. And that might that was the Awesome Blossom actually at Chili's. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the Awesome Blossom. The the, awesome the, uh, the blooming onion was uh, Outback, I think. Outback. Okay, yeah. They're all the same. Yeah, yeah it's they're just so, a, it's they're a big so Vidalia onion. They cut it down the middle. They bread it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. But I've kind of so I, I love onion. I'll put onion on anything. I love it on pizza. I love it on. I like when I put cheese on nachos. I also like just cut up a bunch of onion and put it on there, too. Like I, I, I put onion on anything. Are burgers. you immune to the to the tears? Yeah, I don't. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. That's crazy for some for some reason. But. And I, I've said this in the past, my, you know, everyone in the firehouse, my dad was, is now retired, but he's an FDNY fireman that everyone had nicknames. And my dad's nickname was Onion Man, OM. And that was what he used to write on all of his equipment was OM because he was like so into onions when they would cook, they would all take turns or whatever. So it's like something that's in my blood, I guess. But onion rings, I've never really been super enamored with, but I kind of my brother Dagan really loves them. And so we go to the diner a lot when we get together and we record late at night and he started ordering them and I was kind of coming back to them, but it is tough to know what the right answer is. So, John, I don't I, I don't want to punt, but I'm afraid I have to. I, you selected onion rings. I don't think that's wrong. Yeah. It's just that you'll never really know if you could have gotten better fries at this establishment. Yeah. It's a gamble. So it is a gamble. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing here. It says you're playing Metal Gear Solid 2 on the Vita. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I'm playing it as part of uh, the Metal Gear Solid collection. It's been a really long time since I've played like the original Metal Gear games, uh, for, specifically for, for PS1, the Metal Gear Solid games, uh, or for PS2. And I never finished Metal Gear Solid 2 from what I remember. I thought I did somehow. I don't know how I have this false memory of finishing a game that I never finished. But it only dawned on me recently that I never finished it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go back on back into it. I have it on, I think, every platform that I could get it on. But I wanted to try it on the Vita specifically because, ah, oh, well, this is like the perfect excuse for me to use my Vita. I'm not using it much anyway. So this is the perfect excuse. It plays so fantastically on the Vita. It feels like it's it was almost port. it was it feels like it was almost made for it. Like the way the touchscreen works with your uh, menu navigation, which was always the thing like when I was playing the, those games on the PS2, always the thing that like frustrated me was like navigating through the menus. It's like really clunky and really annoying. It's so good on the Vita. I can't recommend that collection on Vita specifically enough. It's like the I think it's honestly genuinely like the definitive way, specifically as far as gameplay goes, to experience those games. It's so so good. 
Yeah, Bluepoint did the port. That was when no one knew who they were. Yeah. So, yeah, they ported that and Metal Gear Solid 3 to Vita and the PS3 at the time. I think you could send your saves between them. That might be a shutdown kind of feature now. I don't know. But yeah, no, it is good. And I have I definitely have false memories of playing and beating games, too. Like the only reason I'm even able to keep things straight the last 12 years or so is because of trophies. Yeah, because I played so many games. I've played so many games in the pre-trophy era that I'm like, yeah, I think I played that. And it comes up and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I beat this. Or there are games where I'm like, I I have played games that have been re-released on PS3 or PS4 or Vita where I'm like, I've never played this. And then I'm like two hours in and I'm like, I think I beat this game. So, (laughs) yeah, like, I don't I don't know. I can't even remember at all. So I I don't think it's that surprising that you don't. You had like a false memory. That game came out 19 years ago. So, yeah, that sense for me is completely ruined, though, because I have I'm on so many platforms and on PC. There are like so many platforms just on that machine like i, I like I, there was a game that that i i beat on the epic game store that i just you know i i had no i totally i totally forgot like until i finished it i was like i already i already beat this <laughs> i played this already i don't know i don't know why i spent time on this god damn it but uh it's hard to it's hard to keep it all straight it's crazy yeah i'm playing far cry 3 classic still i've been really busy this week so i haven't been playing too many games but i will save much of my chatter about that for knockback, which I'm doing with my brother next week about the game. And um, it's really good. That was I mean, my I love Far Cry. That was my first real Far Cry that I got into. I played a little bit of two. That was the one where you was that the one where you could get malaria or like you could you would have to like uh, dig bullets out of your own legs. Two or three, you're saying two, two of the one where two, you like uh, yeah, your gun two, would jam or something. Yeah, your gun would. I remember that your gun would jam. I don't remember getting. I never played all the way through two. I only played it a little bit three because three was the first one I really. Yeah. Got like beat. I beat and platinum, and I really loved it. Yeah, three um, is three is a great, a great game. I will. I will say I stopped. I almost beat it, and then I got to a certain point that, I, and I think you know what I'm talking about, where I was, where the the plot just sort of flips, and I was like, ah. Yeah, I think I think I'm done. <laughs> I had I had my experience with it. Yeah, I mean, this that's where Far Cry really became Far Cry yeah. for a lot of people. And I think that really nice run of games starting there. So uh, Far Cry 3 is on PS3, but you can buy the classic version on PS4. I think I paid 20 bucks for it. And I think it's think it's totally worth that much money, even this many these many years later. But I'll leave my full thoughts for knockback. We won't be redundant here today. It's like Skyrim with guns. It is like Skyrim <laughs> with guns. It's exactly what it is. Okay, Chris, let's get into the news. There's quite a bit to get through this week. Unfortunately, we have to begin with The Last of Us again. Yeah. There's much to discuss here. Number one, The Last of Us Part 2 has gone gold, meaning the core game is complete and ready to be sent off for certification and manufacture. Word comes by way of the game's creator, director, and writer, Neil Druckmann, who released a brief video on Naughty Dog's official Instagram account. Druckmann notes that the game is Naughty Dog's most ambitious game and that he's proud of the team who have had to wrap up the years-long project remotely and from home because of coronavirus. This welcome news comes on the back of the catastrophic leak of the game's storyline, details, cutscenes, and more, which has caused great furor in the PlayStation community, with many people going out of their way to spoil it for others. Druckmann says in part, quote, No matter what you've seen or heard or read, nothing compares to playing this thing from beginning to end. It's a video game. You've got to play it. End quote. As news of the game going gold emerged, so too did details from Sony about just how this historic leak of the game took place. Sony has revealed that it was neither a Naughty Dog employee nor a Sony or PlayStation employee that leaked the content, but an outside source, and that Sony has identified who the parties involved are. 
Website Kotaku wraps up the swirling rumors around the internet that the leak happened due to, the, due to an exploit hackers discovered in Amazon servers that ostensibly exist to allow players to play online, but were used as a workaround into Naughty Dog's own servers. Exploiting both Uncharted 3's and The Last of Us's online connectivity to gain illicit access, a hacker group apparently took more than a terabyte of data from Naughty Dog before the developer realized the vulnerability existed. Uh, so there's a lot. I have a lot to say here about this. I don't know if we're going to get into all of it today, but I don't see why we wouldn't, because we have some follow up questions here from the audience that will give us some ways to talk about this. But Chris, Kyle Carroll wrote into us and said, hey, boys, hope all is well this week. So The Last of Us Part 2 went gold, and I'm sure we are all tired of the plot leaks debacle. By the way, I want to be clear. We're not going to spoil the story here. Not gonna, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah. But I but I wanted to get some further opinions from you guys. Neil Druckmann uploaded a video on Tuesday saying that the game went gold and Naughty Dog has begun to print discs. Despite this, I couldn't help but notice that the video has a three to one like to dislike ratio with over 40,000 dislikes at the time. What do you guys think this whole situation has done to Naughty Dog's image? Do you think Sony will take action and look for changes in management? Do you think this will impact them going forward into their future projects? Thanks for all you do. And for now, making Fridays great. Thank you, Kyle. Chris, what do you think about? I don't know if you saw the videos. It's actually I saw it on Instagram. It was three separate videos that Neil Druckmann uploaded. But so I didn't see any likes or dislikes or anything like that. That might be somewhere else. But you can see a little bit of pain in his face. I think I know him and uh, he seems a little down there, especially considering the milestone that they just reached in, in putting the finishing this years long project, this, which will be, I think, Naughty Dog's most ambitious game, like he said. Do you think that this um, this leak will affect Naughty Dog? Do you think that the reaction to it has hurts hurt Naughty Dog's image? It seems like people are really trying to tear them down. And we talked a little bit about this last week and I'm a little confused about it, but I'm curious what you think about it with a week's time to marinate. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I, I'm sure it'll have some lasting impact, but I, I, I don't think it'll really like I think The Last of Us 2 is still going to sell a ridiculously huge amount. I think people are really excited about this thing. And like we've said multiple times on the show, the way that the Internet responds is not really always the way that the public at large responds. And that's kind of important to keep in mind. The video does have a lot of dislikes. As far as I didn't actually watch the video, but I, I, I did see that the dislike count was high. But this happens kind of regularly. Like, I remember when Smash Brothers revealed that they were putting the fucking 269th uh, Fire Emblem character in Smash Brothers. <laughs> and everybody everybody disliked that video, but people are still playing Smash. People are still like, oh man, I, I wonder what the next character is. People are still interested. It's not like it's led to some kind of mass exodus. And I think you're going to see a similar thing with, uh, thing with The Last of Us. I think ultimately everybody's probably going to play it and it's either going to be really really great or it's going to be pretty okay and that's probably where the story is going to end um it does suck that they had all the thunder kind of stolen from them from this leak uh, and that the leaks are so hard to avoid but i think he's right about the idea that a video game really should be played to really understand the context of whether or not something is good because there are so many things that you could really compare this to in, in television or in, in other games where it's like, yeah, if you if you heard this on paper or if you saw this out of context, yeah, it might it might suck. But uh, they work together in the greater context of what the work is. And we'll see how we'll see how true that is. We could I mean, who knows? The community could be right, but I don't know. I, I'm willing to I'm willing to, to stick it out and, and see what this what this thing is it's, it's gotten me if anything i'll be real this this leak has gotten me more interested in playing the last of us than i otherwise was before yeah you said that last week which is interesting because 
I bet you that there are a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah, uh, they might be being drowned out by a vocal minority. I mean, I'm willing to go as far as to say that the people that are upset about this in terms of the content and all of that. And again, we will not spoil the content here. They're going to be wrong. Yeah, like, well, I, I just I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're just going to be wrong and that this game is going to be extraordinarily good. I've not I don't know anything about it apart from there is a new trailer that I did watch, but because I, I just wanted to see if they were trying to like tone down anything or trying to like get ahead of anything, which it didn't seem like they were. But that's a good it's a good trailer also. Yeah, it is. So like, I, I don't know, man, I, I <laughs> we'll see. But I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped. I'm pretty pumped to see see what this what this thing is. Well, let me see here. Uh, you know, what? let's go into this next question. Uh, these actually two can be read in tandem, so I'll read them both and then we can talk more. Sure. Alex Gidley wrote in, said, given the fan reaction in The Last of Us Part 2 leaks being that they've quote unquote betrayed the fans um, and this wasn't what the fans wanted in quotes or any other similar responses. Can you really call yourself a fan if you feel like the creators owe you something? I'm not saying that you can't be critical, but fan entitlement is the death of creativity. And Joshua Shane says, hey, C plus C or CNC podcast factory. I hope all is well. I can't understand something. Why is it that the persons that leaked The Last of Us Part Two are being called heroes just because they leaked a story? If the people saying they were so worried about that, couldn't they just wait until the game came out, then read all the spoilers? Or are these the same people that got mad at The Last of Us Left Behind for revealing Ellie's sexuality and just got new ammunition? I'm utterly baffled. Chris Ward by these people. I really feel like. I'm really. Maybe I'm I, I, well, you were bringing up the point. I think you're right that this doesn't reflect like the greater PlayStation community or gaming community at all. But I've not felt so out of touch with PlayStation fandom as I have during this debacle, because I do not understand why people think that they're being heroic by spoiling this game. I'm not even really sure what they're upset about. And the game has been spoiled for me. Like when I read these things, I'm like, so like, so what? I don't I don't understand why you feel like you have any agency or control over what these guys and gals put into the game and write the game. They gave us these games. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm not saying you have to buy it. I'm not saying you have to enjoy it. That's all up to you. But what I am saying is that I feel like. This really shows an interesting schism in the way that I look at fandom and the way other people look at fandom. Because I'm only going to be disappointed in the game after I play it and after it's disappointing. I'm not going to like read and look at videos and see things out of context and not play the game and just make assumptions about everything and then hold their feet to the fire at Naughty Dog for making these decisions that we don't understand in any sort of context at all. And, and that's as much as I'll say about it as far as like the, the content itself. And I'm so sorry that people have gotten this spoiled for them for better or for worse, because I know some people are saying like, well, they saved me. $60 and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, eh, I, that's fine. I mean, it's your money. It's your time. It's your opinions. It's your mind. You can do whatever you want and feel however you want. I'm not saying that you can't. Yeah. I just don't understand to what end you're wanting to do this to other people. Like to what end did people spoil the game for me, for instance? Like, why would you do that to me? You know, I don't I don't understand. I mean, it doesn't ruin my excitement for the game. Like you said, it, it, it actually increases your own excitement. But why would you do that to me? Like, why can't I make up my own decision? Like, why can't I, I come to my own conclusion? Why can't I see it fresh with clear eyes and not have to worry about what you think about it? Just like you don't have to worry about what I think about it. Yeah. You can listen to me. I can listen to you. But let's see it first. Let's like experience it in context first before we get upset. So, I mean, how do, I've really gotten quite annoyed by this reaction. Not that people don't want to play it, but that 
they're ruining it for other people. I just don't get that. There's nothing heroic or awesome or cool about that at all. It's fucked up. And yeah. I, I really not only the hack, it's fucked up, but then everyone is like, well, a lot of people are like have these conspiracy theories, Chris, about like, oh, Sony's covering for Naughty Dog because they have these terrible work practices and they're not paying their employees like none of this stuff's true. Yeah. Sony play, paid their employees. Even Jason Schreier, who's been a major critic of Naughty Dog, has said none of that shit is true. That Sony actually extended payment and insurance po- uh, to, to even their contractors during COVID, which they have no legal obligation to do. They might have a moral obligation that's different. So I, I'm just tired of these narratives that like even when Sony tries to clear its name and say like this happened because of an external hack and then other people say this is the way it happened and everyone's like, no, that's a lie. Like nothing they can do now is OK. And it just seems like something that you only do to studios that are at the very top that you want to just tear down for some reason. But Naughty Dog has been so good for so long. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want to give them the benefit of the doubt? Why wouldn't they earn that? The original Last of Us is one of the great games for many of us of all time. And and people have gone out of their way to fucking ruin it for other people. And I think it's disgraceful. I think it's completely disgraceful. Yeah. What say I, you're you? not you're not saying you're not saving anybody money by revealing something early. Like if people are going to want to save their money, they're just going to they're going to wait for the game to be out and then maybe read the spoilers on their own or maybe see what people have to say about it. They're not going to like the, I, I don't buy that argument either. It's 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 lame. It's lame to take away other people's enjoyment of something on the face of it. But to do so to, to do so when you know that there's no way. Like it's one it's one thing to spoil a game for somebody that's already out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's another to spoil a game that's like not going to be out for like 2 months. You know, it's still a douchebag move, but there's like an extra layer of just like dickness when you know that these people are going to have to be dodging spoilers for like two straight months. You know, I, 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 there's this there's I don't know. It's it's so lame. Yeah, I feel bad because it's it's going to be hard for people to do. It's yeah. going to be like we've said and I, I think I said is uh, maybe it was after last week's episode. I don't remember, but two of our own paying customers on Patreon spoiled it for people and I had to ban them, you know, and that's just not acceptable. I'm not going to accept that in our community. Yeah, and it's pretty lame. The, the amount of games I've been in this industry a long time. The amount of shit I could spoil for people is fucking astounding, including, by the way, games that aren't even announced, you know, and I try to tell you guys certain things, but I'm never going to spoil the nature of a game for you, even after an embargo comes out. I'm never going to go out of my way to ruin something for you and your own ability to enjoy it for yourself. And that's all I wanted for The Last of Us Part Two is to just be able to enjoy it or not and make up my own decision because everyone's going to go into this now, or at least people in the know, and it's many people are going to go into this with this fucking thing plaguing their mind. And much like the cordyceps plagues the the clicker's minds. <laughs> nice. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it's so rude. It's so mean and mean spirited and wrong to do that to people, to go into Twitch chats and just spoil it and tweet at people and like go to Naughty Dog's tweets and just spoil all these things. It's like, why are you doing this to people? It's just fucked up. And it's not the community that we've built here. I'm not saying that you're going to like the game. I'm not saying it's going to even be good. Yeah. I'm pretty confident it's going to be great, though. And I'm going to make that decision for myself one way or the other. And I resent that people think that they can have that kind of agency over other people to just go in and impact their own enjoyment and their own perception of something that they don't have their own chance to perceive yet. Yeah. And I don't know why you'd want to do that to people. I just I, I can't fathom that. 
it's 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 wrong, man. It's just wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we have one more question here from Kyle Tisdell. He says, hey, folks, one of the most exciting things about the release of The Last of Us Part Two is the fact that once it's out, we'll officially be in an era where we have no idea what Naughty Dog is doing next for the first time since I don't know, since before Uncharted. So 13 years aside from the standalone factions multiplayer, we just have no clue. I'm impossibly curious to know what direction they're going to take. I'd imagine that they they as a team are probably really itching to do something lighter in tone again after The Last of Us, another linear IP, open world shooter. What do you guys realistically think Naughty Dog is doing next? Chris, this is true. I mean, the Jack and Daxter era lasted a little while and then they went into Project Big, which ended up being Uncharted. And they talked a lot about that in the years leading up to it. And then we had an Uncharted trilogy and then a fourth Uncharted game, The Last of Us, and now the sequel to that. So we really do have no idea what they're doing other than factions. What would you like to see them do? What 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 appeals to you about this team and how can they take advantage of that appeal to give you something that you want to play? Yeah, I don't I feel like they've nailed uh, the most important aspect of everything they've tried to do. This is a studio that uh, started out making really, really crude games. And then somehow they've also accidentally made one of the best kart races of all time, (laughs) like just by sheer accident. So I I have a pretty huge amount of faith in them to just make something really cool. I am, I will say, a little bit, uh, how you say, brokenhearted that we never got an Uncharted cart racer. Because that that was their, that was, that that is what seemed to be their uh, strategy for a while. And I honestly, yeah, uncarted. I honestly think it writes itself. Like it really, it probably would have been hilariously easy to do. I also probably would have been awesome, but I don't know. I, I think I, I just want to see something very, very different. I, I don't want another dark, serious kind of more realistic game. I, I want to see them get kind of stylized. I want to see something really stylish and really cool and something that maybe we wouldn't expect from them because I know that they have a really talented art team and I, I would like to see that talented art team do something that's not kind of trapped by the the framework of realism and you know reference to what we what we know as like the real world it would be cool to see them venture off into something sci-fi or maybe fantasy or something just marginally different than what they've been doing for the last well since since uncharted i guess yeah it's been it's been about uh 15 years including uncharted ones drake's drake's fortunes dev cycle so it would be cool to see that as well. I agree. There was long a rumor. So in the original Last of Us, there's a comic book series that Ellie reads and it's called Starlight something or whatever. And, and a lot of people were thinking that maybe that was going to be some, like some tease of something they were going to do. I don't think that ended up coming to fruition. We're going to get another Uncharted game, but that has long been rumored to be developed down at a new team in San Diego that's working out of Sony San Diego. So we will still get Uncharted. I, I think that this will probably be the end of The Last of Us. And I think it probably should be. I don't know that we ever really needed a sequel to begin with, but I guess we'll judge it for that. There has been a lot of turnover at Naughty Dog, and I know that a lot of people are pointing at that as like, look how bad it is to work there. People, of course, ignoring the fact that when you have The Last of Us and Uncharted on your resume, you can go fucking work anywhere you want. And that's why a lot of people leave the studio, because they can go make a ton of money taking that expertise somewhere else. So that's something that I don't see talked about anywhere because everyone wants to paint them in, in this universally bad brush, which is obviously stupid and ignorant and, and just completely divorced from reality, of course, as well. But those vacancies allow new types of talent to come in and they can restructure their team in such a way 
that they can start making a different kind of game. And, and we saw that happen with Gorilla between Shadowfall or during Shadowfall, really, and Into Horizon. This was a team that was made to make first person shooters. And then suddenly they're making third person open world games. And we've heard from people saying that, like, people actually quit Gorilla because they didn't want to make Horizon. They wanted to make Killzone. And I'm sure that Naughty Dog would lose talent because they didn't want to make third person shooters anymore or whatever like that. But it would be cool. You're right to see a sci fi or a fantasy game. In fact, I think that in a lot of ways, Sony should take advantage of Naughty Dog's talent to leverage something like a fantasy game because they don't have anything in that in that mode right now, like a, a Dragon Age type game or a, a Witcher type game, just something that can appeal to that that subsection of gamer. And anything Naughty Dog does is going to be is going to is going to draw a lot of critical acclaim, probably and a lot of attention so they can really do whatever they want. But I agree with you. It would be cool for them to get away from the action adventure. And obviously something post-apocalyptic would be pretty redundant. So and I, I would imagine that Sony wouldn't even let them do something post-apocalyptic anymore, because now Days Gone seems to be is probably going to run with that mantle for a little while more into the future. So, yeah, they already have that cover. They already have a George in that respect. So they should. I agree with you. Do something fantasy, something sci-fi. That would be great. That'd be awesome. I would love that. All right. Let's get into some of the other pieces of news here. Number two, at Microsoft's Xbox Series X showcase, publisher slash developer Codemasters revealed the next game in its long-running Dirt Racing series, aptly titled Dirt 5. While no mention of its PlayStation iterations was mentioned at the event, naturally, the publisher has revealed that you can expect to see the game on both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, in addition to Xbox platforms. It sounds like it'll be a launch game, but that hasn't yet been confirmed. Dirt was once known as Colin McRae Rally, and the original came to PS1 back in 1998. Colin McRae Rally 2.0 followed in 2000, also on PS1, with three more iterations across PS2 and the original Xbox between 2002 and 2004. In 2007, the series took on the Dirt moniker with Colin McRae Dirt, which came to PS3 and other platforms. And then uh, 2007 was when Colin McRae also passed away. But the series continued with his name with Colin McRae Dirt 2 in 2009 before abandoning the name for just Dirt, starting with 2011's Dirt 3. Scattered releases came to PlayStation platforms, culminating in the last two releases, both on PS4. Dirt 4 in 2017 and Dirt Rally 2.0 in 2019. I was reading about Colin McRae. I, 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 God, he died so long ago. I forgot that it was like it's 13 years ago yeah. that he passed away. Because I remember that being a, a really big deal. So, uh, yeah, that was one look of a game that we saw at Xbox Series X's showcase that will be coming to PS4 and PS5. And again, it does sound like it's going to be a launch game. Number three, a Deep Silver published Fish Labs developed game, Chorus Rise of One, was also announced at the Xbox presser and it will also be coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 at some point in 2021. The announced trailer shows a slick looking space combat game with your character flying an A-wing looking ship. There's not much else to say about the game, however, as the trailer is barely 90 seconds long with quite a bit of cinematic flair. The Coke Media owned publisher Deep Silver is a well-known player in the AA space, but Fish Labs is perhaps lesser known. Located in Germany, the studio is best known for its iOS series Galaxy on Fire. And up to this point, the only traditional hardware it has made games for is the Nintendo Switch, where it ported or is still porting some games on Deep Silver's behalf, including Saints Row the Third and Saints Row 4. Chorus Rise of One will be the team's first original console game in its 16 year history. Ooh. What did you think of that trailer? I thought it, that game kind of looked pretty neat, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, it looked all right. I, I it, like I like you said, it was it was a bit it's a bit quick. Um, there really wasn't much to there really wasn't much to digest, but it seems like a neat little game, especially for a for a debut title on a on a console. It's pretty cool. Certainly. 
Um, and it's worth noting, I just want to reiterate that I'm only those are really the only games other than what we've talked about that are confirmed as of the time of recording this for PlayStation consoles. It's fair to assume all of those games are coming, but press releases haven't indicated at the time of recording that other games are coming to PlayStation 4 and or PlayStation 5. So we'll leave those out of here for now. So we have completely accurate information. We don't have to backtrack later. And we'll cover the rest of the games on our Xbox Series X specific Sacred Symbols Plus episode. This is a big piece of news here. Chris, I'll be mm-hmm. curious to think what you think of this. Number four, it looks like the Mass Effect trilogy is finally coming to either current gen or next gen consoles or potentially both. If a report from website VentureBeat is any indication in a breakdown of EA's recent financial documents, the website notes that the publisher has 14 games brewing both at its internal studios and external and at external partners. While some of these games are obviously known quantities, a new FIFA, a new Madden, a new NHL game, etc. One of them in particular is an HD remake. However, Buried in the article near the very end is this sentence, quote, oh, and that HD remaster of an EA game is the Mass Effect trilogy, end quote. So someone at VentureBeat is in the know and confident enough to make that declaration. The beloved original Mass Effect trilogy has been conspicuously absent from current gen platforms, particularly PlayStation 4, where it cannot be played at all, even through PlayStation Now. Mass Effect has always been a step behind on PlayStation platforms. The original came to Xbox 360 in 2007, but didn't come to PS3 until 2012. While the sequel came to PS3 in 2011, a year after it came to Xbox 360 and a year before the original. Mass Effect 3 launched in 2012 across all applicable platforms at the same time, however. Mass Effect Andromeda, which was planned to spin the franchise in a new direction, came out in 2017 on PS4 and elsewhere and was a critical and commercial dud, putting the franchise on ice. Perhaps this HD trilogy will revive Bioware's dormant spacefaring series. Hmm. I was really excited to see this, but it seems so late. What do you think? It does seem a little bit late, but... I also feel like I recall, hmm, I don't know, maybe saying something about this mm. and how mm. we weren't so far away from a Mass Effect uh, trilogy coming to Nuka. Ah, you know, maybe. Oh, maybe so I you, just you, have you, a this, maybe this wizard angel demon thing that's been following me around and granting my wishes is, uh, is, is lending an ear. Yeah, rearing its head once more. Once more. We got a lot of letters to the show, excuse me, about you know, asking me just to bring up games so that you can wish them into existence. (laughs) This is good news. I I really am of the mind, and I've said this many times, so I don't mean to be uh, stale with it, but I really feel like they stayed away from porting the trilogy because they knew it was going to expose Andromeda for being so bad. Yeah. um, Or so subpar. And I think that that's why they stayed away from it for so long. And now I think it makes a little bit more sense, but it's been frustrating because I think on Xbox One, you can play the original trilogy Mm -hmm. in backwards compatibility, but you can't, there's no way to do it on PS4 or PlayStation. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. No, yeah, I was actually playing it recently. Like, in the last, like, month or two, I was playing Mass Effect 2 on, on back compat. Um, so it is technically available on current gen, but only on one of the big, only on one of the big three. I wonder if it'll come to Switch. That'll be interesting. Yeah, the, the Venture Beat article said that to not expect the trilogy on, on Switch immediately. So it sounds like it'll probably come to PS4 and 360, or uh, PS4 and uh, Xbox One first. Yeah. And maybe, I, I don't know, and then maybe there'll be like nice little additions for backwards compatibility to entice people because it is time to play these games again. It, it has been a while. It's been eight years yeah. since Mass Effect 3 came out, which is incredible. It makes me feel so old when I think about that because I reviewed that game at IGN. I remember it so well, but maybe overrated it a little bit, but I don't know. I gave it a nine. Might be a little high, but I would love to go back and play them. And it is annoying that because we're going to do a Mass Effect episode of Knockback on the first one. I have it on PS3 and I have to like dig out the PS3 and play it on there. I just don't want to do that. It's just annoying. So I'll be curious 
to know because we had mentioned earlier the EA Play thing on June 11th. I wonder if this is going to be announced there. And it would be really cool if they did that and actually released it at the time that they announced it, if they could just hide the trophies yeah. and achievements so it's not spoiled. That'd be pretty cool. So we'll keep an eye out for that. And maybe VentureBeat is just totally wrong, but I don't think that they are. They're a pretty well-connected website. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Number five, maybe we won't be getting a second part to Final Fantasy VII Remake anytime soon after all. A Twitter user relayed detailed translations from the Final Fantasy VII Remake Ultimania book coming out in Japan that we discussed last week. And from the sound of it, we're going to be waiting a good long time for this thing to continue. The interview, as relayed, was conducted on March 19th before Final Fantasy VII Remake launched. And Naoki Hamaguchi, Final Fantasy VII Remake's co-director, noted that the second part is only in the planning stages, with no concrete details on how they will proceed. Meanwhile, Matomu Toriyama, the game's other co-director, noted that he is quote-unquote apprehensive about how they will make the take the game to the world map that opens up after Midgar in the original game. While he also says that he doesn't even remember much of the original game after Midgar and will need to brush up on that before making any decisions. Hamaguchi, meanwhile, notes that they will need to balance exploration and open-endedness with telling a dramatic story, which was their goal with the original remake release. This is already turning into a bit of a messy situation, I think, Chris, because... <laughs> yep. I, <laughs> I said this last week or two weeks ago, but if you're not going to do the second and third parts or whatever it's going to be in the same quality and with the same intent that you did the first one, then just leave it alone and don't even do it. Just let the game go because I don't need any rush jobs. And in and, and the translation, he was he was kidding around like he was joking. They were all being interviewed together. So he was laughing with one of his colleagues and, and one of them said like calm K-A-L-M is a location in the game that you get to after Midgar. And um he was laughing, being like, how do you even how did we even get to column? Like, I don't even remember, you know, and it's like, Jesus Christ, like what? What the fuck are you talking about? I, I don't. Why would you even say that? It just seems like Square has to do a better job of reining these guys in in Japan a little bit because you don't. These guys are always popping off at the mouth. All of them, like everyone that's worked on this game, everyone that worked on Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy 15. They all seem to just not be able to shut the fuck up 
<laughs> and like just be like we don't know or like with the games in pre-production or whatever they just they just put out all of this conflicting information yeah and it's, it's like damn the games you don't even know how you're going to continue it yet and by the way that conflicts with what was being said by other people on your team so it's like i don't know what do you think man what do you, what do you have to say about this uh, <laughs> i think it might be uh this might be a, a chris was right i don't i really i truly like in the in the marrow of my bones do not believe we're gonna get to see this thing truly finished I, re- I really i just don't see it and i've just that's those that's been my expectation so i'm not i'm not super disappointed or, or surprised i love i love the remake but like <laughs> i mean this is kind of something that i just anticipated like the, you spend so long working on the first not even half of final fantasy 7 you know like what what would you say percentage-wise, the remake covers of the original? 15%. 15%. Yeah, maybe 20%, maybe. It's been years, you know, on 15%. Like, there's, it's just, there's no way, dude. This is going to be, if they're going to do this, this is going to be like seven games. Like eight games, ten games. It's just not, it's just not in the cards. Yeah, I think you might be right. And I, I just don't my thing with them, because I know that they were saying last week that they want to maybe do a quick and like quick little bursts. And I'm like, just don't do it at all. You you made something so special here with the remake. I haven't finished it yet, but it's so clearly special and so clearly thoughtful and well done. You're going to ruin it. Don't ruin it. You know, like, don't ruin it. Either do it right or just don't do it at all. And, and I, I saw someone asking somewhere, will we get Final Fantasy 16 before we get Final Fantasy 7 remake too? And I'm like, <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, you definitely, yeah. you're definitely going to get Final Fantasy 16 before you get Final Fantasy 7 Remake 2. They don't even have this game in production. You know, and, and people are like, well, they have some things rendered already and stuff. And I'm like, the Midgar render is not going to be useful to them at all. Like, just because they have Cloud and Tifa and Barrett doesn't mean shit. They have to build this world and tell the story and build all these new monsters and locations and remix it the way they heavily remix it. And it's just such a shame. And I just wish that they had a better plan. Even if they came out and said, like, listen, we're not going to finish this thing for 10 years. It's going to come out in three or four parts every three or four or two or three years. We're really going to try to hit that. But they won't even say anything. It just yeah. the game sold pretty appreciably. It's only available on PS4. So it's not even available on Xbox or PC yet. And it'll sell even more there. I mean, there's going to be a lot of demand for this. And they and they are they're going to risk ruining it if they don't do it right. And and so I'm I'm kind of getting to the point where you, I think you're right, where they might not do this at all. And and I think that if they don't do it the right way, they're going to ruin this really cool thing that they built and ruin the ability, by the way, for them to go back and really truly remake some of these other games, which I know people really want. People want Chrono Trigger. They want Final Fantasy VI. Maybe they bit off more than they can chew. I mean, they clearly did bite yeah. off more than they can chew. Oh, without a doubt. So we're uh, planning the Final Fantasy VII remake Sacred Symbols plus spoiler cast for the week after next. Uh, Chris and I still have to finish it. So need a little bit of time. Number six. A couple of rumors have been swirling around for a while concerning Dying Light 2, the long-in-development sequel to Techland's 2015 surprise hit Dying Light. That Techland has been purchased by an outside entity, likely Microsoft, and that the game was in a disastrous state inside the studio. Seems that neither rumor is true, at least if some tweets from Ola Sandej, the studio's internal head of PR, are any indication. She tweeted, quote, In case you guys wondered, Techland was not acquired by another publisher. We're still an independent studio and will deliver Dying Light 2 on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. On that note, the translation of the Techland article floating around is totally inaccurate. While I have your attention, development of Dying Light 2 is moving forward. The game's in good shape and in good hands. So worry not. It is coming. End quote. 
The translation she's re- referencing is, a so- is the source of the most recent drama surrounding the game, which I think was in Polish, which indicated that Dying Light 2's dev team is unhappy, that the game is a mess, and that it's falling apart behind the scenes. Seems none of that is true. This is good news in some sense, not only for Dying Light 2, which I'm really excited about if she's telling the truth, but that I was getting afraid that Microsoft did buy these guys. I don't think that would have affected Dying Light 2. It definitely wouldn't have because they're with another publisher in Square Enix. Yeah, I believe. Oh, no, they're self-publishing. And I think that no, are they are they? I'll look it up in a sec. But that the game it, it is it, it is taking a weird amount of time. And it, it is important to remember that Dying Light is actually. An exception to the rule of Techland, and I think that's something that we have to kind of remember that these guys made Dead Island and some other shit that wasn't that good. That's why Dying Light was so interesting because it was so well done. But what do you think about this? Uh, these quotes from Ola Sandej, the PR head at Techland, about that the studio has not been purchased, the game's still coming, the Polish article is wrong, and there's harmony at Techland. Do you believe it? Uh, I believe part of it. I believe that, yeah, there's probably not, uh, th- they're probably not owned by any publisher now. That's definitely not true if they're willing to come out and say it because that would be really fucking awkward. <laughs> That would be a really awkward thing to uh, to talk about with their publisher. But uh, I I can't help but see this lengthy development cycle and think that something is wrong. Something is amiss. This seems like, ironically enough, a Dead Island 2 situation where mm. you've got this zombie game that's just in development hell for seemingly no real good reason it seemed like the game was in pretty good shape when i saw a gameplay of it i don't even know how many years ago at this point 2017 2018 something like that like they showed this game off i remember seeing this game being played one of my friends i remember interviewing like inter- interviewing like the like the the staff and like the devs and i was like oh yeah it looks pretty cool and only until today did i not even realize like oh yeah that's still not out and it's been a considerable amount of time. It's it's a little weird. It is weird because one of the major pieces of contention in the rumor was was that Chris Avalone, who's the writer of the game, is not on the same page as the development team and that is causing a lot of chaos. And Chris Avalone didn't write the original Dying Light. So he is coming into this kind of on his back foot in a way, which which makes sense for people that don't know who that is. He wrote Jedi Fallen Order. Um, he's writing Bloodlines, Mask, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. He wrote Wasteland 2, I think. He did a lot of writing on New Vegas and Alpha Protocol. And he was one of the guys that was really involved in like the original Planescape and Icewind Dale and all that stuff. So in Baldur's Gate. So he's a well-established writer. And a lot of the stuff was r- r- kind of surrounding him. And it seems like that might be unfair. But the one thing that she says, Chris, that bothers me a little bit is that we are still delivering Dying Light on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. That's meaningless because <laughs> Mojang has been owned by Microsoft for six years and they're releasing in like two weeks a game on PlayStation 4. That that Just because Microsoft owns them or would have owned them doesn't mean that they're not going to put a game on PS4. And we see plenty of studios that are purchased, Obsidian being a really good example, that released a game on PS4 after they were purchased because they had promised it to someone else. Now, this is a self-published game. I was looking at it as Techland Publishing that's publishing it. I don't know where I got Square Enix from. But... I, I, I do believe her, too. I don't think that they've been purchased by anyone. People might be sniffing around and trying. But I agree with you. I think that there's probably something amiss with this game, because remember, it was supposed to be out by now. 
And it was actually, I think, supposed to come out last year, too. And then they pushed it to 2020 and then they pushed it, I think, even further. So I'm a little worried about it. And it's kind of shitty because I thought Dying Light was so special. And I thought that they had an understanding of what they needed to do to deliver a really good sequel. It, I don't want to say it shouldn't be hard because it's really hard to make any game. But they had the formula of what worked, the gameplay. If, as long as you just deliver the gameplay again and have a nice new spin on the story and a nice new setting, it shouldn't be that complicated. It's not like they're making a new IP. So, yeah, I am a little concerned about it myself. It's a little we'll it's 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 never a good sign when a game's been in development for this long, especially with this. What's weird about it, too, is that they were so open about it for for a decent amount of time and they were like showing it off and stuff. And then like they just went silent for like years. That's the weird thing to me. Like that's almost weirder than having like a long dev cycle is just like being open in the beginning and then real silent later. It's like, what, what's the hell's going on? I don't know. Yeah. We'll, as I we'll recall, see. they like they talked about that they were making a sequel. And then was it at. Was that the Xbox event a few years ago when they actually showed it and then they seemed real bullish about it? You're right. And then and then it kind of went, you know, who knows what who knows? It, do, it doesn't seem like everything's as tranquil as she's letting on for sure. Yeah, but certainly not. I, I mean, I imagine we'll, that we'll I imagine that the whole pandemic uh, is obviously, you know, kind of throwing everybody for a loop. But I mean, it, it seems like this was this this project was already kind of in a weird state of mismanagement or like at least some slight amount of turmoil even before all this. So, yeah, definitely. We'll see. We will. We will see. I'm keeping that's a game I'm, I am very excited about. So we'll see. When we learn more, hopefully it'll come out this year. I hope it's not one of those games that's stranded on last gen platforms after the new consoles come out, because then people aren't going to play it. Yeah, but we will. Um, we will see. Number seven, some Activision related news has been making the rounds that will please fans of many of the mega publishers series. For starters, IGN reported on an interview Infinity Ward's Taylor Kurosaki, who used to be at Naughty Dog, who gave to French website GamerGen in which he seemingly confirms that the mega popular free to play Call of Duty game Warzone will be coming to next-gen consoles around the time they launch, including PlayStation 5. IGN also reports on an investor call where Activision's COO, Daniel Allegre, reported that the next mainline Call of Duty game is still on track to release this fall, even with coronavirus interrupting development for studios around the world. That's not a huge surprise, since I'm sure they're trying to get that game out for launch, which will be a huge yeah. fucking game for them. Meanwhile, website Push Square relays word that two unannounced games that Activision has been talking about in financial calls and in their reports are likely a new Crash Bandicoot game, as well as a new Tony Hawk game, the latter of which has been leaked on several occasions now, including by a band that submitted songs to the game's soundtrack, and most recently from a pro skater, Jason Dill, that appears in the game. The latter is interesting news considering Activision doesn't own the rights to Tony Hawk games anymore, though a deal may have been made behind the scenes to continue that long-running relationship that spans back to the late 90s, or the game could be coming out via another publisher entirely. So there are a few things to touch on here, Chris. First of all, Warzone coming to PS5, not a huge surprise. Yeah. Uh, we have Call of Duty, the next mainline Call of Duty game coming to PS5, likely and PS4 this fall. Also not a huge surprise. We'll see if they actually can do that or not. But the bigger thing I wanted to talk to you about was Crash Bandicoot. What do you think about a new Crash Bandicoot game? That's interesting. I, I hope it's an I hope I, my hope is that it's a new Crash Bandicoot game because that's that I'm all about that. Like, that's exciting. If it's another remake. Like, ah, uh, you're kind of. When you when you've gone past Crash Team Racing, you're kind of after the beloved period, you know. Like the Crash games that were on Xbox and PS2 were fine, but they weren't anything that anybody's clamoring for a remake of. That like I mean, even <laughs> I feel like even the SpongeBob game that's being remade was like significantly better than that. 
you know, significantly. So, like, if it's a new game, I'm excited. If it's another remake or if it's, like, Crash Bash, that weird party game that was developed after Naughty Dog Last, it's like, "Ah, I don't don't need a... I don't need a <laughs> a remake of a party game from 2002 or whatever that whenever the hell that game came out. Yeah, um it'll be interesting who's making it and yeah, I mean, the the Call of Duty remastered stuff for remake and um also the Car Racer, I mean I was totally wrong as I've said many times about those. I didn't think anyone would give a fuck about that stuff and I was just way wrong on that. I wasn't even close to being right. So, yeah. It does make a lot of sense that they would investigate kind of reviving that that IP with a new game. But the Tony Hawk thing is a little weirder to me. And I don't know if it's because people are reporting on things they only half know about or if they have a little bit more information than they can talk about. But Maple Media, which I think is Tony Hawk's company, has owned the rights to Tony Hawk Pro Skater and Tony Hawk is like likeness for skating games since 2018. And I don't know if what we're going to find out is that Activision is reviving that relationship or if people are conflating things and we're going to get a Tony Hawk game from another publisher, it would make a lot of sense that Activision would try to get back into bed with them. They have the money to spend. I'm sure Tony Hawk would love to get that Activision money again, going back to their Neversoft days, of course. So we'll see what happens. I mean, this game is clearly real. It's just yeah. a matter of well, just because that that one punk band or whatever, like blew it up with their songs being in the game. And then and then Jason Dill is talking about the game. So, yeah, I think it I, I think it's real. I, I think um and I think honestly, I think Activision might have might have gone back to it. I think they probably saw that um, that Tony Hawk game. What, what was it? Pro Skater Five or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that they got out like right under the wire. I saw basically. they. Yeah, I saw that they they probably. I, I assume that they probably saw that come out and release like to complete disappointment, like one of the worst games that year. And and Activision was probably like, hey, you know, ah, we we did this pretty good. When we were doing it, <laughs> like maybe, uh, maybe, maybe come back. Maybe uh, we'll strike a deal or something. I don't know why yeah. Activision is Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. but that's <laughs> kind of how I feel it is. Yeah. Robomoto took over from Neversoft and that began with Motion and then Ride in 2008 and 2009. And none of those games were they even did the Pro Skater HD remake, which I know people did like that was on PS3 came out in 2012. But uh, Pro Skater 5, I mean, was long rumored to have come out so quickly in 2015 because they were trying to get it out before they lost the rights, I guess, to the IP. And and then that game Skate Jam from Maple Media came out in 2018. That was only on iOS and Android. So the, the series has been dormant. And as we've said in the past, like there's that there are a couple of skating games like Session that are going to try to fill this void. So there is a desire for this. It's just a matter of if they can make it happen or not. And I don't know. If they have an external developer, Neversoft is kind of doing, you know, Robomoto doesn't exist anymore. And and uh, Neversoft has been folded, I think, into Infinity Ward. So they don't exist anymore either. So I'll be interested to see how this all turns out. I have no idea. Yeah. Very interesting to see. It'll be it'll be uh, it'll be wild to see. Yeah, it'll be really fun. I hope I hope they do come back to Activision so they can use the whole pro skater thing and and go on with it. So number eight, this is a weird one. In a peculiar move not often seen in the games industry, two IP-wielding publishers have swapped franchises with each other in a deal most akin to a sports trade. As reported on THQ Nordic's Twitter account, THQ Nordic sent its Red Faction and Painkiller IP to Coke Media and and in in return received Risen, Sacred, Rush for Berlin, Second Sight, and Singles, Flirt Up Your Life. Now, this is definitely a weird deal, not only because of the trade, but because Coke Media and THQ Nordic are technically in the same corporate family. 
So this seems to have to do more with the immediate semantics than long-term IP ownership as Embracer Group, which owns both entities, still control all applicable IPs in the deal. Red Faction is definitely the biggest series in the deal, the original having first come to PS2 way back in 2001. It's one of the first games on PS2 I bought. Red Faction Armageddon, launched in 2011, was the last game in the series before the original THQ went belly up, and Deep Silver acquired the franchise off the heap. Painkiller is a game first launched in 2004, developed by People Can Fly, the studio once in the Epic family that worked on Gears of War and created Bulletstorm. Sacred is a long-running action RPG series that first launched in 2004 and was last seen in the form of Sacred 3 in 2014 on PS3 and elsewhere. Risen is a trilogy of action RPGs helmed by THQ Nordic-owned Piranha Bytes, with the last game, Risen 3, coming to both PS3 and PS4 in 2014. Rush for Berlin is an obscure PC RTS first launched in 2006. Second Sight was a little-known stealth game launched on PS2 and elsewhere in 2004. And finally, Singles Flirt Up Your Life was a PC simulation game launched in 2003 with a PC sequel coming in 2005. This was weird. I don't I don't know. I don't remember ever really seeing anything like this before. Yeah, they even they even tweeted about it. As if it was like a sports deal with like these. This is they're acquiring this for this. It's like seems to me that Coke Media kind of got the better end of this because they got Red Faction and Painkiller. Well, yeah. Of course, yeah, like Painkiller and Red Faction are obviously the the better one. They're like, you're really trading down, but also it's the same company, so who cares? Like, yeah, what, I don't what, really... Just seems like a shifting I, around of assets more than a trade. Yeah, I, I was trying to read a little bit around about this, and I'm like, I don't really understand what the fuck's going on here, because this same Umbrella Corporation owns all of this stuff anyway, but I guess it's just a semantical thing to allow these guys to work on the games they want to work on. THQ Nordic losing Red Faction, which was... Actually, because we always make fun of everything THQ Nordic owns, Red Faction is probably one of the with probably the second or third biggest IP they own at this point. Um, yeah. Sacred. Uh, so Sacred and Risen are both like mid tier games that probably could live in this era of persistent action RPGs. But I just don't know. Rush for Berlin. I had honestly never even heard of. I had a, I had a read about that second site. I hadn't thought about in a while and singles flirt, flirt up your life. I did. I do remember that because that was like one of those weird pervy games uh, that came out at the time. So you guys can go read more about that on the Internet if you want. Number nine, this is perhaps not the biggest surprise, but Destiny 2 is officially coming to next gen platforms, including PlayStation 5. Confirmation happened in a brief in brief on Twitter, where the official account from developer Bungie responded to a post from the official Xbox account about all of the developers and publishers supporting Xbox Series X. The tweet, the tweet read, quote, Destiny 2 will be on next gen platforms. More details to come, end quote. Destiny 2 has been a smash hit for Bungie since its launch in 2017. As we all know, Bungie took over the series from Activision as publisher back in 2019 as well, giving them full control over the IP. What the studio's plan is for when the ports will be ready remains to be seen. What do you think about this, Chris? You're a huge Destiny fan. You think we'll see this in time for launch? Uh, I think so. I I would be confused. This is the weird thing about this era is that like because it's already backwards, because the Series X is presumably backwards compatible, you could already kind of play Destiny 2 as it exists on your series x probably i would i would imagine it would be weird if they gated that especially because there's cross platform i would assume there would be cross platform play it'd be weird if you just locked players out based on what platform they had specifically with this generation as opposed to the last one it it seems reasonable uh, although because destiny 2 is an online game i i don't know if you're going to see much in the way of like the features that the Series X is likely, or or the next generation in general, is likely to be focusing on. So, like, faster load times and stuff. Like, that's all dictated by 
connectivity and internet connection anyway in a game like that. So you're probably not going to see stuff like that. I wonder if they will boost frame rates and maybe fidelity. I, I would hope so. Although you could argue that that kind of makes playing on the previous systems a bit disadvantageous if you have literally less frame data to react uh, in a competitive game. That might that might be a, a bit confusing and a bit uh, a bit of a minefield to navigate. But I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I assume that it would be on the next generation platforms. I just uh, didn't know if it would be like a proper port or not. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about the frame rate issue. Like, does Destiny 2 run at 60 or 30? No, it runs at it runs at 30. Yeah. So even bumping it to 60 would obviously be unfair to everyone playing cross platform. But but it's not necessarily I mean, there is a PVP component to it. Right. So it's not because I always think of Destiny as a PVE game. Yeah, there's a cooperative. There's a huge there's like arguably I think the most most of the focus is on PVP right now. But oh, interesting. um, Yeah. So it'll. I don't know. It it would be weird to because that's the thing. It's like you don't want to lock people out of the player base. You wouldn't want to like separate those two players those two player bases, the one on the original Xbox One and the Series X, but you also don't want to mix them if one's playing on 60 and one's playing at 30, but you don't also want to have the one on the new system run at 30 just to keep parity because then it's almost like not even getting a new game or not even upgrading a console. It's a weird situation that they find themselves in. I wonder how they're going to... I wonder how they're going to balance that. I guess you could argue that on PC you can... You can choose to play at 30 if you if you want, and that doesn't really matter. So we'll see. It's interesting. Yeah, they, they might have to gate it. Yeah, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, maybe making it just backwards compatible. Um, I mean, it will fundamentally be backwards compatible, like you said, but maybe just focusing on that and then keeping it at 30. Although, yeah, that would be disappointing for a lot of people, because I think the expectation widely now is going to be. Yeah. What, 60 frames and maybe even 1440? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it runs, it runs at 60 on PC and it's it's divine. It's like it's deeply noticeable <laughs> when you when you compare them. Yeah, people are not going to be able. It, it's going to remind me a lot of um, when Xbox One came out, especially, but it, it was on PS4 as well. When games were not running at 1080p, I think Rise was running at like 900p or something. Yeah. And that yeah. was considered like totally unacceptable to people. And so I think that that's going to be this, the frame rate issue. Now, if things are not excuse me running at least at 60 frames and maybe even better. Yeah. Than that, uh, it's probably going to be a pretty controversial. Which, thing. in fairness, I think is a pretty reasonable standard at this point. If if your game doesn't run at 60 frames at this point, like, I, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, it is just objectively just such a, a way better way to experience games. Yeah, I'm still not a I'm still I still have the anti savant thing going on with frame rates where I can I can still get away with the 30 frames thing for now. But yeah, I didn't mind as it. I, as I, didn't I become mind more it. ingratiated with. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I didn't mind it before I saw two two versions of the same game running simultaneously. And I, and I play both. I play on PC and on console and it's just it really is deeply noticeable like when you when you see it like running in real time it's if you're like because i can wake up and play destiny 2 on console at 30 frames and i'm fine but if i go to pc and then switch back it's it's unplayable like it, it really is more of like a kind of um an acclimation process than anything but we'll see interesting well we will see won't we number 10 Star Wars is coming to PlayStation VR in a big way. According to a write-up on the official PlayStation blog, Vader Immortal, a Star Wars VR series, which was originally released last year on Oculus Quest across three episodes, will soon be available for PSVR, and the entire run of episodic games can be purchased together, which is a first for the lesser-known series. Vader Immortal was created by ILB Cross Lab, a development studio internally run by Lucasfilm, which is obviously now owned by Disney. 
The series was very well received. It was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Innovation in Interactive Media and won the GDC Award for Best VR or AR Game just this year. A specific release date is unknown, but Lucasfilm is aiming to get all three episodes to PSVR this summer. Pete wrote in and said, hey, CNC, so Vader Immortal has been announced to come to PSVR this summer. This is pretty big news since this is currently a very good Oculus exclusive. This made me wonder, how do you think Sony should leverage PSVR as part of the marketing for PS5? Sony has already mentioned forwards compatibility for the PSVR 1 with the PS5. With the extra horsepower of PS5, should Sony try to court over a few big name PC exclusives? Not only will this entice those 5 plus million PSVR users to maybe make the leap, it could also be used to sway those on the fence between Xbox and PlayStation by highlighting an avenue of gaming in VR, which is currently only being embraced by Sony in the console space. First of all, Chris, what do you think about these, uh, Star- these Star Wars games being ported over? This was actually a pretty big deal because PSVR has not had a lot of big hits lately. And this seems like something that is a no brainer that people will buy. So what do you think of that? I think it's cool. I think I think it, it shows that there's active interest in PSVR from Sony, which is something that's been kind of just just sort of only vaguely assumed lately because there really hasn't been much new. There, there really hasn't been much acquisition. There really hasn't been many new titles. The same exact games have been on the the top downloads for what feels like the entirety of the life cycle of the of the machine. So it's nice to see some news in that regard. I've I've never heard of these games, so I'm I'm kind of curious about them. Yeah, so I was reading a little bit about them. They do look they do look and sound pretty cool. Uh as far as the yeah, the acquisitions thing is weird. I mean, even well, it's easy to forget now because we've been moving so quickly through the news lately just in the PlayStation space that Iron Man VR was delayed at the same time the Last of Us was and we just have not even heard anything about it since and we've heard now about the last of us coming out it's going gold and we also know ghost of tsushima is coming the next month so it is a little strange uh from that perspective and it is cool to kind of get something new in the psvr environment but as far as pete's comments about psvr i was reading there have been some comments about i think the less than two percent acquisition rate of vr on steam and that even though half-life alex is doing really well there that that's still horrible. I mean, that's one in 50 people with even the ability to buy that game. It just seems like this is, by the way, that's pretty comparable to about 5 million PSVR units to 100 million PS4s. There are even more than 100 million PS4s, so the adoption is actually even worse in terms of overall player base. But it just seems like this is maybe a losing battle. I hate to put it that way. If you only have 20% or I'm sorry, 5% of your user base even able to buy a game, and then reduce it from there about who buys the actual games. It just doesn't seem like it's a chicken and egg situation because people are not going to put their games at these places unless they have the financial reasons to do so. And that usually only comes from promised money from publishers. And then you're, boist- you're bo- boosting up this artificial market that doesn't exist at all. So I don't know. I don't know how they're going to work this out. It's, it's kind of sad because I think PSVR has a lot of potential and the sequel to PSVR is probably going to be pretty cool. But are people going to buy it? I don't know. Yeah. It's it's very weird. I feel like Half-Life Alex is such a unique situation though because it's Valve is making it and Valve doesn't even really need to even think about making money. Like they could just do whatever the hell and they don't even have to care who is going to buy it or what the install base is because they they just make money off of literally everybody else. So that, so they're one of the only studios that can even afford to put so much AAA resources into something like a VR title. No, you're definitely right. Um, you can make the argument that Sony and Microsoft are in that boat, too, because they have their marketplaces. But it's clear that Steam's marketplace is just much more vibrant. Um, and since they spend so much less on 
internal development resources than Sony or Microsoft yeah. does. Well, they also don't manufacture anything. That's also true. That's a great point. So, yeah, it, it, there's much to learn about what Steam is doing and what Valve has done in order to kind of right the ship. And I do appreciate Alex just from the sense of them doing it. They definitely didn't have to do that. They even took one of their own studios that they just acquired and canceled their game and put them on it. So they did make some sort of sacrifice in, in terms of Campo Santo. So we will see how it all goes with PSVR and PSVR 2. But I'll be keeping a keen eye on this Darth Vader game. And I'll be curious to see how it does. Because it's the same. Well, we're going to talk about it actually right now. But it's the same. It's the same games in the VR top 10 list in sales every month. So it's not it's not a good sign for yeah. PSVR's viability. Number 11, Sony has revealed the most downloaded games on PlayStation Network for the month of April, and the top game shouldn't come as any surprise. The top 20 most downloaded games on PSN for PS4 in April were in order. Final Fantasy VII Remake, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, NBA 2K20, Grand Theft Auto V, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Campaign Remastered, Resident Evil 3 Remake, Minecraft, FIFA 20, Monopoly Plus, Spider-Man, Madden NFL 20, Rainbow Six Siege, Uno, Predator Hunting Grounds, MLB The Show 20, Red Dead Redemption 2, Need for Speed Heat, Rocket League, God of War, and Kingdom Hearts 3. PSVR's top downloaded games were in order. Beat Saber, Creed Rise to Glory, Job Simulator, Rick and Morty Virtual Rickality, Arizona Sunshine, Super Hot VR, Vacation Simulator, Drunken Bar Fight, Astrobot Rescue Mission, and The Room VR. A Dark, uh, I'm sorry, The Room VR, Dark Matter. Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, and Apex Legends were the top downloaded free-to-play games, and Fortnite and GTA Online topped the DLC and expansions chart. So that PSVR list could really be any month's. PSVR yeah. list at this point. Sounds the same every month. You could interchange them with every single month and it would be probably accurate every time. Yeah, nothing nothing uh, ever changes. So, number 12. While this might not mean anything, it almost certainly does. Ubisoft has secured the URL for Prince of Persia 6, presumably the next edition of its long-running Prince of Persia franchise. Not shockingly, the URL is princeofpersia6.com and it was secured just days ago. Ubisoft has yet to comment on the game and it's unclear if and when we'll see it. But the URL's emergence happens on the tail of a leak of Prince of Persia footage from a long since canceled game called Prince of Persia Redemption. The age of the footage is unknown, but Jonathan Cooper, who worked at Ubisoft at the time and has since gone on to work for Naughty Dog and others, noted on Twitter that the footage is real and from an internal pitch and that it inspired his team's pitch for Assassin's Creed 3. Assassin's Creed 3 came out in 2012 and entered development in early 2010, and so it's presumably footage from either 2008 or 2009. The original Prince of Persia, a side-scrolling platformer, came to Apple II in 1989 and was followed by a PC sequel, The Shadow and the Flame, in 1993. The series was revived in 1999 in 3D, where it came to PC and Dreamcast, and with publisher Ubisoft's backing, made the leap to AAA 3D console series with The Sands of Time in 2003, which came to PS2 and other platforms. Ubisoft was quick to release subsequent Prince of Persia games, including 2004's Warrior Within and 2005's The Two Thrones, among others, though the franchise has been essentially dormant since 2010, when Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands came to PS3 and elsewhere. Chris, are you a fan of this series? And did you see this footage, this leaked footage that's been circulating? Uh, I played a little bit of uh, Sands of Time, but I, I didn't really play any, any of them afterward. That, that footage looks cool as shit, though. It does. That is genuine. Yeah. Like the animation specifically is uh, is pretty, pretty impressive, even, even impressive by today's standards. I, I was looking at it. I was like, that's pretty fluid and really shockingly well animated. Yeah, it looked cool. And I in just researching for the show, I'm not a huge Prince of Persia fan at all. I think the only Prince of Persia game I really played was let me look at this here. I think the Sands of Time. Yeah, I think I bought that game when I was in college early on. 
I'm, I've never been a fan of the of the franchise or the ser- or the uh, the character or whatever. I don't I don't care much about it. But I was surprised. I thought that more Prince of Persia games came out after the Forgotten Sands, but apparently apparently not. So uh, it sounds like it's going to come back. I was reading something that the original creator of Prince of Persia still owns, I guess, a piece of the IP. And so Ubisoft's I think actually Jonathan Cooper might have said that. that so the original guy that created it still owns a part of it and Ubisoft has publishing rights so their margins are much lower and that's why the the series has been, been essentially abandoned. Well yeah, but, well they were working on one that, that essentially just became Assassin's Creed. I know that's how Assassin's Creed started. Oh, I don't even think I knew that. Yeah. That's interesting. It's they oh. were working on a Prince of Persia game and they were like, "Ah, this IP is a little weird." <laughs> yeah, they're splitting the money with others, so I had no idea. I, I never even I didn't I don't know anything about where yeah. Assassin's Creed I might came be talking from. out my ass, but I'm pretty sure that's a thing that I remember as from this, the real timeline. From from the real timeline. Yeah. Number 13 is a wrap-up. Website Gamatsu reports that Blaster Master Zero 2, presumably from Japanese developer Any Creates, is coming to PS4, even though it hasn't even been officially announced yet. It basically leaked in the back end and people found it. That VR game Little Witch Academia VR Broom Racing, which I know Chris is excited about, is coming to PSVR in early 2021, later than expected due to coronavirus. That puzzle platformer Evergate is coming to PS4 later in 2020, and that action game Forgone is coming to PS4 on October 5th. And that gladiator-esque VR game Gorn is coming to PSVR on May 19th. Website Push Square reports that delayed horror game Those Who Remain will now come to PS4 on May 28th. That first-person action game Ghost Runner is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That stylish racing game Inertial Drift, which looks really cool, is coming to PS4 on August 7th. And that Souls-like game Everything is Full of Gods is coming to PS5 at some point in the unknown future. Website IGN finally reports that racing shooter Disintegration will come to PS4 on June 16th. And that racing game NASCAR Heat 5. It's PS4 bound on July 10th. That is it for the news. Chris, it is time as tradition dictates for us to go through some of the games coming out this past week here on PlayStation Network, PS4, PS uh, Vita, PSVR, and tradition also dictates that you go first. All righty. Emma, Lost in Memories, comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Emma, Lost in Memories is a 2D puzzle platformer game in which all the platforms and walls start disappearing progressively as you touch them. Think, strategize, run, jump, and feel in a surreal and poetic world where everything fades away. Oh, sounds very real. Fury Unleashed comes to PS4. Fury Unleashed is a combo-driven roguelite action platformer. Each kill you make increases your combo. Hit certain thresholds and your damage resistance and healing powers will kick in. It's a game you can even beat in one ultimate combo. Are you up to the task? Okay, uh, Infinite Beyond the Mind comes to PS4. Do you stand a chance against the Wicked Queen Evangeline? And her army? (laughs) You're the last hope to prevent her world domination. Infinite Beyond the Mind is a slick 2D action platformer where you take on the evil queen uh, Evangeline Brahman? 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 Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Brahman are the radioactive cows in Fallout, aren't they? Play as either yeah, Tanya, <laughs> play as play as either Tanya or Olga, two girls who have the power to stop the growing army and take down the evil queen. All right, John Wick's or John Wick Hex. I'm sorry, comes to PS4. Become the Baba Yaga. Am I saying that right? Yeah. John Wick so. Hex is a fast-paced, action-oriented strategy game that makes you think and strike like John Wick, the professional hitman of the critically acclaimed film franchise. Uh, okay, I heard I, I heard that was actually pretty good, co- uh, pretty cool. So, yeah, it was made. That's made by uh, Bithel Games, the guys that did um, Thomas Was Alone and Volume. Oh, yeah. And some other stuff. Yeah. 
Ping Redux comes to PS4. Ping Redux has 100 plus levels, including 12 bosses that are inspired by classic games to help keep the gameplay varied, with bombs, lava, moving hazards, and other sorts of blocks to get in your way. Uh, do you think you can beat it? <laughs> Read 2 comes to PS4 and Vita. Read awakens to the memories of the old supercomputer. Read failed. The reboot failed, and now the digital world is once again breaking down. Before the old supercomputer malfunctioned, it gave Read backup files that must be delivered to the developer. The virtual world is now doomed. Can you get to the developer? I don't even know what the fuck I just said. <laughs> Super Mash comes to PS4. Super Mash is a game that makes games. Mash together two game genres to get a completely unique game each time. Then challenge your friends to see how well they do. Think the mash you made is impossible? Share its mash code with a friend or streamer and see if they can beat it. That's actually pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, I was hoping you were going to get this one. Time Umari <laughs> Complete Edition comes to PS4. Time Umari Complete Edition includes the full Time Umari game, all editions, and Legend of Hamari minigame. Take control of the Hamari, the young female wizard traveling across various ages to settle the balance in time across the whole world. Task Force Campus. That seems weird. Compass? I would say Compass, yeah. yeah. But I don't know for sure. Whatever. Task Force Compass <laughs> comes to PS4. Drawing inspiration from the golden age of Japanese shoot-em-ups, Task Force Cam uh, Compass God damn, combines retro action with modern conventions, adding new mechanics and randomly generated stages with handcrafted bosses. Ubermash Omega comes to PS4. Ubermash Omega, the final volume of the series, is the apex of the 90-second gun-fueled pit concept. I never even heard of that concept before. Players can choose a saint, tune it to fit their gameplay style, and try to survive a gun-filled pit where you can cut bullets with swords, unleash havoc with psionic powers, and evade hells of projectiles. Hells of projectiles. And, uh, is that the last one? Yeah, it is, and the, last, the, one. One. the last one. Final yeah. one. Void Bastards comes to PS4. Forget everything you know about first-person shooters. Void Bastards asks you to take charge, not just point your gun and fire. Your task is to lead the ragtag void bastards out of the Sargosa, Sargasso, Sargasso Nebula. Uh, you make the decisions where to go, what to do, who to fight, and then you must carry out that strategy in the face of strange and terrible enemies. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, nothing too crazy this week. I think John Wick Hex is supposed to be pretty good, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I've play heard. It. Uh, I don't really know much about anything else. Yeah, I've heard. I've, I've been hearing about void bastards for a while. Yeah, as I said, the name just sticks out to me because uh, I know that Stealth Bastards was not allowed to release on PS3 because it was called Stealth Bastards, and then it had to be called Stealth Inc. So it's well, kind of <laughs> something's changed. Yeah. All right, Chris. Tradition dictates that we end each episode of Sacred Symbols with uh, six, six, six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can submit them on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/CollinsLastStand, where many, of you, many of you, God, I can't talk, support us, and we very much appreciate it. We would love your support over there, and you get lots of cool perks for doing so. So thank you so much. We couldn't do it. Without you, so we're Josh Naylor who wrote in and said, hey, Colin, the colon and caca, Chris. It's not very nice. How important is New Game Plus to you guys? For me personally, it can sully a game for me if I go back into the menu after completing it and realizing it has no New Game Plus option. The lack of this in Resident Evil 2 Remake really brought me down and the New Game Plus mode in God of War has caused me to love it even more. Going back and punishing those who punished you at the beginning of your journey is just the perfect reward for a job well done. The f I don't know what the first game is that got New Game Plus, like where that term came from, but I remember the first game having it in my own life is Chrono Trigger. Mm -hmm. And that's where I remember even learning that term. But I don't really care. I don't often play games again, so I, I don't need New Game Plus. It's not something there for me, but it seems like something that should be included in as many games as possible. Uh, Twin Breaker has New Game Plus, our game. 
uh, just to give people a reason to keep playing and give them some value. But is it an important feature for you? Yeah, I think so. Like, did so his his question his actually his statement about God of War actually confuses me a little bit. Did, did God of War have a new game plus mode at launch? I, I feel like it didn't. Yeah, I think that, I think it came later. I can look that up because I remember actually that was one of the games that bugged me because I was I was actually like super excited to go to the beginning of the game again and and just wreak havoc on all of the all of those stupid, annoying assholes at the beginning who would just like pummel me into the ground and I couldn't do it. I could be wrong, but I feel like I remember that was the case. Yeah. So uh, on PlayStation blog, it says uh, August 20th, 2018. It launched that day as a free update. Yeah, that was like way, way after I I finished it. But yeah, it it is it is kind of bothersome in games where when it's just not there when especially when just the combat is so good that you just kind of want to experience older combat scenarios with with your newer abilities, even though they are inevitably just easier because they're not designed with the intent of dealing with all the stuff that you now have by the time that you're at the end of the game. It is there is a sense of. catharsis and going back to that that first dude and just wrecking him yeah i can i can see that for sure yeah i just always like moving on that's yeah that's fair i i, just, I, I, I feel like i, I typically move do move on like shortly after that but it's it's nice to just go back and just just mess the dude up sure thank you for your question josh tyler heater wrote into us and said hello colin and chris with the recent announcement of jeff Keeley's four-month-long summer game fest what do you guys expect or think there are numerous numerous publishers partaking in this event, and I, for one, am excited. It's nice to see Jeff doing things on his own. This is also something I believe he put together in the wake of him leaving E3 2020 and E3 well not happening. Do you guys think with this move, we will see more of these digital events going forward and a show like E3 will get pushed to the wayside in some way, shape or form? I appreciate all you do and keep making Fridays fabulous. Thank you, Tyler. So my concern about this, I, first of all, I think it's cool that Jeff is doing his own thing. He's been doing his own thing going back now to the video game awards, but he did unceremoniously leave E3 in their their digital coliseum or whatever it was called. But I've noticed that like there are lots of entities doing something like this now, and it's going to create the same crush on on the system, as it were, like that we see with too many trade shows and too many enthusiast shows where like I think IGN is doing something. I think GameSpot's doing something like this. I think even like Games Radar is doing something. So it just seems like. I wish people would just get out of each other's way. And so, so that like one or two partners can do this the right way and encourage everyone to see things, because I think what we're going to end up seeing is like a lot of small stuff with eager publishers and developers willing to show it to anyone. And then probably seeing the same shit over and over again from bigger publishers and developers. And I don't think that that's really going to be effective for everyone. So mm-hmm. that's my major concern. But what do you think about Jeff's uh, summer game fest? I think it's cool. I, I, I like Jeff Keighley. I, I always have. I, I, I... I, I enjoy I I like that I know that he cares a lot because there's a lot of people who do stuff like this uh, in either other industries or just other mediums. And it's like so obvious that they're just sort of there to just sort of collect. one of the people who comes to mind is like, you remember how, how Joel McHale was just like a part of all these random streams for video yeah. games for no reason, <laughs> yeah. even though it was just clear that he like he hated every moment. So it's like it's nice. It's nice to have somebody who's just like authentic and who cares about the industry and and the craft and all that. I I don't really know what this is supposed to be. Like is 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 like was the Series X inside Xbox thing a, a part of this or or not? Like it's it's kind of weird because he says it's like several months long of just of just information about games which 
this last Xbox event technically was, but it wasn't a part of this. And, you, and you're just like, is there even a distinction as to what's a part of this and what isn't? Or I, I don't really know what the like what it is still. Yeah, I'm a little confused, too, because it does seem like there's a lot of partnerships with publishers, developers, or whatever, and working in tandem to try to touch on everything, which is which is what I'm saying, which is what I want. But it, it, it does seem a little incoherent. I think the the biggest players are going to do the best. So yeah. obviously Keeley will do really well and then IGN will do really well. But I, I don't think that this is going to work out um, very well for other smaller partners because I just think it's going to become redundant. I think it's just the same problem that you see with a lot of these shows generally, which is why it was so effective that E3 was when it was and then Gamescom was when it was and then PlayStation Experience was when it was or whatever, because at least there was time to deliver the new goods. And when you start doing the trade show circuit, and you realize that a lot of the same builds are being shown everywhere and stuff like that. It's just it's what Sony has actually itself been talking about for a long time. Why they, they stopped even going to these shows because they had nothing to show. And then people write bad things about their their stuff because they're seeing, you know, because there's these unrealistic expectations, I guess, or whatever. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But yeah, I like Jeff, too. I think he's a really nice guy. Ian Savage wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, hope all is well. My question is about the future relationship between From Software and Sony. With Miyazaki and company working on the much-anticipated Elden Ring and Demon's Souls remastered and Bloodborne 2, and 2 an obvious choice from Sony to be released on PS5, what do you think are the prospects of Sony potentially purchasing from software outright, or at least have some kind of second-party relationship with the studio, especially considering the success of the Game of the Year awarded uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice? Thanks for being the highlight of my week. Thank you for your kind words, Ian. Very nice of you indeed. From Soft. Chris, do you think that they should? Do you think that they make sense within the Sony first party? Uh, from a second party, I think I think I think they do. I, I think Bloodborne being an exclusive kind of series from these guys is is good. But I don't know if you necessarily want to buy a studio like this when they're already working with you in a pretty reasonable capacity. Also, because I just don't think the optics of it would be too good. I think. The most hardcore people who are into Dark Souls and these kinds of games are likely on PC. I I don't have like data for that, but that's the sense that I get. And I feel like it would probably be a pretty negative press riddled day if they were just like, hey, we just purchased (laughs) FromSoft and now you can only play literally every single FromSoft game only here from here on out. I I just don't think it would... play that well i i wouldn't do it especially when you already have bloodborne and likely a bloodborne too if i would if if i'm guessing correctly i would imagine that that's on the table yeah it's interesting you say that about pc because that wasn't true for a while but it seemed like when dark souls itself started slowly migrating the pc i think that started with uh like scholar of the first sin and then i think they went back and released it on pc or whatever however it went i think that's how it happened mm-hmm. maybe i'm wrong about that I'm looking at the dates now. No, I guess Dark Souls was ported in 2012 to PC. So when that all started, it did seem like the series was kind of living again through PC gamers. But I don't have any data for that either. I don't know yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just the sense. It's the sense that I get uh, kind of navigating the landscape and talking to people is that it's a very it's not necessarily PC centric, but but it's it's got a huge hardcore audience on PC, likely because PC is just backwards compatible and they get to play all this stuff uh, without investing in new hardware. Yeah, because I mean, going back to their original, you know, they, they started, but with Kingsfield in the early 90s and mid 90s and then Armored Core and all that shit, they were always um, on console. I think that the first time they ever even released a game on PC 
was when they released Dark Souls mm-hmm, uh, yeah. as a port. So they, they do have this opportunity, I guess, to find, continue to find their audience there. And I think that Dark Souls was one of those games that just Sony let get away because famously Demon Souls, which came out in 2009, was published by Sony in Japan, but was actually published by Atlas in the West. And that was because Sony didn't see any potential in it. So they totally dropped the ball there, which is where I think Bloodborne came from and why they wanted to re- make and release that game with FromSoft. And I would imagine that they're going to make another Bloodborne game. They own that IP. They don't need FromSoft to actually make it. But uh, I think that would be a mistake for them not to. But Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which came out a little over a year ago, was Activision published. But Chris is right that they already have a bit of a working second party relationship, not only with Demon Souls, but then with Bloodborne, but also with the Remember, they made that PSVR game, Duresne, that came out in late 2018. That's only on PSVR. Uh, they are working on Elden Ring, as he said, and that's going to be uh, a game that's published by Bandai Namco. And that relationship obviously goes back to Dark Souls itself. So we'll see how it all goes. But I agree. I don't know that it would be an optically wise move, although I think it would maybe be a pretty wise move to fill out their catalog. But if you even look at From Software's games, like they don't release that much. So I don't know that you necessarily even want to be in bed with them. Although I think Sony would have been thrilled to have Sekiro yeah. as an exclusive, just as an example. And Elden Ring, who knows if that's going to be any good. But uh, we will find out. All right, let's move on here. We have three more. Nicholas Schaeffler wrote in and said, hey there, Seamen Supreme. I'm new to the JRPG genre and recently picked up Dragon Quest XI and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Question, what's with the crazy enemy designs? Dragon Quest XI being the prime offender here. I've never seen such odd creations in a video game. While I enjoy the slimes as an iconic early game enemy, the other enemies like the Cruel Cumber, Lump Wizard, and Lips. Yeah, the lips are fucking weird. Seem out of place in a modern day high definition RPG. Do you find it charming? Is it nostalgic? Thanks for satisfying my curiosity. TGIF. Chris, what do you think about the weird enemies in JRPGs? I think that's honestly one of the few things that uh, bring me to a point where I feel even remotely interested in playing them. I I love Japanese enemy designs. Like even, even today... At this Xbox presser, they showed some they showed some anime game that I, I don't remember the name of. It was like Nexus something. Do you remember what this was? I'll look it up. Oh my god, I can't remember. But they had like these enemies that looked like they were flower people. And it looked amazing. That's not a JRPG, obviously, but it's like a very Japanese-inspired looking game at the very least. And that that should it's it's just striking. I I like that stuff personally, even if it is like kind of like outdated. I, I just find that kind of oddness very charming and very interesting and it just speaks to just this level of confidence it's like yeah you'll play our game even if you're fighting lips yeah the, li- <laughs> the lips enemy in dragon quest is, are really weird the game is scarlet nexus from bandai namco yeah like those enemies look amazing in that game I-, I don't know what the hell that game is but uh i'm almost willing to uh ignore the fact that the protagonists are all anime people to play it yeah i, I agree with you chris i think that that's part of the charm of the of the genre is the camp in it and how it does it takes itself so seriously and yet it's so comical in some way but it's serious nonetheless i love that i I love that contrast and so yeah nicholas you're new to it dragon quest 11 is a weird game the enemies get way weirder in other games though so i i I highly recommend i mean play the original final fantasy 7 if you want some fucking weird enemies too but uh keep going go play some tales games and other stuff i want to see a hyper realistic uh lips yeah you be careful what you ask for we know that you can wish things into a, a, a the, the lips are going to be there for you when you wake, when you open your eyes tomorrow yeah, morning. It's going to be, gonna be a, it's going to be my sleep paralysis monster. Oh, man. Awful. Skull Hattie wrote into us and said, hey, guys, long time. First time. I wanted to ask what you think of Assassin's Creed's marketing announcing Valhalla just six months before being released. I can't help but love that idea. 
I can maintain the hype for six months easily. Six months easily. I totally forgot about Final Fantasy VII Remake for years, so what's the point of announcing it? Until the release gets close, you don't even really know if a game is going to get through the whole process. This would help prevent delays, angry, impatient gamers, pressure for getting the game out and more. Am I missing something or lots of things here? Am I in the vast minority? Well, Skull, it's funny you say this, and I'll be interested to get Chris's take on this, because I think in the modern era, what really began this quick turnaround was Fallout 4. Yeah. And... I think that that really worked out well for that game. I actually think it benefited that game because it's, it ended up not being as great as everyone, I think, thought it was going to be. And I think that wasn't people were just so excited to get it that they didn't they, you know, no time to ask questions just by product. So I, uh, I like this as well. And I like that not only that Ubisoft announced Valhalla late, they were probably going to announce it at E3, I assume, but also that they put Assassin's Creed away for a while because it just wasn't working out and they needed more time. And so I love everything about it. I mean, I, I love. First of all, I think the game's subject matter is really cool. Again, I'm a little confused why this Saxon ninth century England shit is so big right now. I just don't understand where this came from. But uh, maybe that's just the stuff I'm paying attention to and watching. Maybe it's just not that big. But also, uh, I think that there, there's been a lot of talk about how this is a bit of a different Assassin's Creed game that apparently it's not going to be as big and, and staggering as the last one, which is nice. So it's it's manageable. And I think that all games should be announced like this. I hate these long lead ups. It does create a lot of expectations. It causes publishers to have to shift release dates around. And like you said, like you forget this actually happened with one of these games that was announced at the Xbox conference. Uh, He said this with Final Fantasy VII Remake, but I was reading it on Kotaku where someone had brought up like one of these games. I don't remember which one it was, where it's like this game was announced like three years ago. But like so much time passes that you're like, oh, it's was it really? And then they bring up like the the, the trailer. And you're like, oh, yeah, this was announced in 2017. Yeah. Scorn. And for some reason, we're hearing about this. What is it? I, I think it was Scorn. Scorn was shown off. Scorn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it was that. You're right. And I'm like, I don't remember. I don't fucking remember that game at all. So I'm with him here. What do you think about Valhalla and, and the uh, quick turnaround? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it worked really well for Fallout 4. I think it's a it's a pretty good idea. I think generally speaking, you want your marketing to be lengthy enough that you have time to build hype but not so long that it becomes frustrating for people when they wait the last thing you want is to be the steward of a franchise and have people frustrated for years upon years due to a lack of information when you could just announce it in the same year and just sort of slowly lead up to it when you know it's going to be ready i think uh i think there's nothing wrong with that i think it's the ideal way to kind of deal with this kind of thing to to announce a game like this i understand that sometimes you have to make it clear for like investors or what have you that certain things are coming and certain things are promised and certain things will happen but overall i'm I'm a fan of this as well i think it's a a largely positive way of going about it totally agree uh, there's no reason to do it any other way I, i'll never really understand doing it any other way and hopefully i, I thought fallout 4 would start a trend back in 2015 when Bethesda did that at their first E3 press conference, which we thought at the time was going to be like a one-off E3 press conference that where the stars just aligned. And I wish that they did that because every Bethesda conference got worse from there. But yeah. uh, I, I look at it and I'm like, yeah, this is great. And, and it, but it didn't start a trend. It's just everyone. Elden Ring's a great example of this, but there we just talked about, but there are other games where it's like, Jesus. And then games do get canceled. Yeah. And games end up being bad. And the hype machine, the hype machine in gaming is worse than it is anywhere else. I understand that films are often announced, way ahead of time and that is true but there's way less of an emotional investment i feel like in film 
than there is in the gaming industry, generally speaking. Yeah. I know that there's exceptions to the rule. I think but. you're right. But at least we know that Elder Scrolls 6 is coming. Yeah, and Starfield. Before oh, Elder man. Scrolls. We don't even know when Starfield's coming out, but Elder Scrolls 6 will come out after that. So we have that to look forward to in 2027. Cameron Smith wrote in, got the final question. He says, hey, CNC, you guys have talked in the past about how Sony releasing The Last of Us Part 2 before Ghost of Tsushima is a mistake. But is it possible that the games are being released in this order to benefit players? Ghost is shaping up to look like a fairly robust open world with an engaging story, likely bursting with side quests and other activities. If Ghost were to come out first, there's a good chance many people wouldn't be able to finish all of the content before The Last of Us Part 2 arrives. Part 2 may be Naughty Dog's biggest game, but it will likely be a fa fairly linear experience and with no factions mode to keep people around once they beat the campaign. Players could very well be ready to move on by the time Ghost arrives. What are your thoughts? Is there any other reason that they would release the games in this order? Thanks for everything you guys do. This is a point of contention between us, Chris. I think we both agree, actually, a point of contention with us and Sony, I should say, about the order in which they're releasing these games. What do you think about Cameron's contention that Last of Us Part Two should be a pretty limited experience? Ghost of Tsushima will probably be longer. So it does make sense if they're going to come out close for, to put Last of Us first, even though The Last of Us is going to be the bigger and probably better game. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I agree, only because I expect that while... Ghost of Tsushima will have open world elements and will be built in an open world fashion. I I don't I I don't foresee it being a game that you're going to be playing for like weeks upon weeks of like real time playtime. Like I, I, I their previous games are open world as well, and they don't they don't have a particularly long runtime. Like like uh, Infamous Second Son doesn't have like. Like once you beat the game, like there's stuff to do, but it's it's not like it's not like this sweeping open world with like a myriad of side quests. And maybe they're going in a different direction with this. But even so, like, I, I don't know if a month is really necessary in that regard. You know? Yeah, you're right about infamous. None of the games are longer than I think even pushing 20 hours is going to be pretty hard in an infamous game unless you're you play them twice now. That's true. But to to get to play as good and evil, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think people might be overestimating Ghost of Tsushima's game length. And I also feel like we still don't we still haven't really seen the game. And it comes out in like two months and change. Yeah, it's really so weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It, it, yeah, it is weird. And it's conspicuous as shit. I think like I'm not saying I hope the game's great. I think Sucker Punch makes great games. They've only made great games going back to Sly Cooper. But I, this is weird. I mean, I don't know why they're not showing it more if they're confident in it. And all I can say is that I don't think they're confident in it or they would show it. So, yeah, or or it's like wildly incomplete and it's not going to come out in time, but they did put a release date on it. So I don't know. It's just I just find it a little strange that we've seen so little of it and it's coming so soon and people don't seem concerned about it. That's usually a sign of alarm. Yeah. If you don't see a game. I yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I uh I agree. I, I think uh this particularly this is like jarring because it's it's so close. It's like almost tasteable. Like you can almost taste it. Whatever the hell it is. You don't know what the hell it is because you haven't seen it, but you can almost taste whatever it is. And it's it's strange that uh as far as we know, we've really only seen like in-engine footage. Like no, not even really any gameplay really. Yeah, they showed him like they showed the character like walking around a little bit and interacting with characters, but we've never seen like anything prolonged, yeah. I don't think, as far as gameplay is concerned. And I think they've addressed that 
on social media saying that they're going to plan on doing something soon. So maybe it'll pop up at some point. I assume it will. They can't release the game without showing it. But I heard something about that there was going to be a, uh, like some kind of event in June. So maybe, yeah, that's a rumor. Early June. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if that rumor is true, then maybe we'll we'll see something in early June. That would be nice. Would be nice. That'd be very nice indeed. All right, Chris, that's all we have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you so much for supporting us and giving us your kind attention. Remember, if you listen on free feeds, we'd really appreciate your review yeah. on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. It helps a lot. We are definitely topping the charts over there, which is awesome. So we, we really appreciate your help. That really helps algorithmically help us find a new audience. And uh, if you can support us on Patreon for a dollar or two dollars, five dollars a month, whatever you can support us with. It helps us continue to do this show and keep it financially viable. We could not do it without the more than 8,000 of you that already support us over there. And you get access to knockback and other perks as well, too. So please do consider giving us your support if you can. Chris, appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, no problem. And I appreciate everyone out there as well. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Adam Nix, Ahmad Tamar, Alex Cabrera, Alex Gates, Alex Moans, Alan Tremblay, Andrew Parker, Anton Kay, Antti Kinnanen, Azan, Barrett Boswell, Bo Clant, Ben, Betty Ann Moriarty, Bjorn Campbell, Blake Israel, Bloody Fang, Boots, Brad Cooley, Brian Chan, Carlos Algarit, Casual Misfits Gaming, Chad Lewis, Chris Adams, Chris Buston, Chris Galvin, Chris Moore, Colin Davenport, Colin Love, Connor Gashian, Corey Wyatt, Damon Weathers, Daniel Diamor, Daniel Margaka, Darren Gardner, Daryl E. Naaman, David Chestnut, David Ellis, David John Finnegan Wright, Don Lee, Donnie Nolan, Dylan Burns, Enrique Perez, Eric Finkenbeiner, Eric Harden, Galja, Gamer Filmaholic, George Anthony Nunez, Gerald Pennington, Gio Corsi, Greg, Greg Julifs, Homeworld Hub, Hugo's Desk, Infinite, Isaac Wassman, Jason Pettit, Jackson Lastiqua, Jay Getter, Jeff Pollard, Jeremy Key, Jeremy Shook, Jerome Ferreira, Jesse Owen, Joe McPartland, Joey Finelli, John, John Schultz, John Cadero, Jonathan Reich, Jonathan H., Jorge Palomino, Josh Bushing, Josh Gravelick, Josh Yeager, Josh M. Josh McKinney, Joshua Jonathan, Joshua Smallwood, Justin Wagman, Carl Tolman, Keith A. Lewis, Kevin R. Lord, Kiet Mai, Knight Draft, Kyle Hagel, Lawrence F. Prokop, Lou and Ray Loper, Mad Mock Media, Miranda Grubba, Mark Boggio, Marius Garson Peterson, Martin Beck, Mason Cadillac, Matt Martin, Matthew Perdue, McDog18, Megadet, Michael Gates, Michael Vecchio, Miguel A. Brewer, Mike Wayant, Morgan Ashley, Mubarak, Nathan R. of Fortuna, Organic Produce, Patrick Harper, Patrick Kelly, Patrick Leslie, Paul Joyce, Peter Reynolds, Petro Rose, Phil Crone, Raul Melendez, Ray Lasia, Richard Hebert III, Richter86, Robbie Hensley, Rodney Coleman, Ross Maranka, Ryan Murdoch, Ryan R. Kittredge, Ryan Reeves, Ryan T. Mandel, Saul Balcazar, Scott Lovelace, Sean Chandler, Sean Mason, Shane Rayum, Simon 
Simon Conception Jr., SL the FMA, Spencer Brand, Stephen Nieder, Taylor Barkley, TB Lightning, Throw7, Toby Shootman, Todd Paxton, Tony Zaniga, Toothless Gibbon, Travis Plymel, Tyler Bellow, Tyler Harris, Vexius, William O'Carroll, and Zach Parsley. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.